You think you know me. I want to open this up with some breaking news live from WWE headquarters. First off, before I get to the Royal Rumble winner, New York Radio's own Peter Rosenberg won the 24-7 title from R-Truth. And I can't wait for tomorrow's Michael K show. I cannot wait. Even if I'm not, I only listen to it while I'm driving to work. If I'm home because of the snowstorm, I'm going to be tuning in just to hear him brag about winning the 24-7 title. That is – I I still can't believe I saw that. But the real breaking news is that Edge, yes, Adam Copeland Edge at 48 years old, probably plus three or four given his neck injuries, has won the Royal Rumble. Why? I don't know. But as a nostalgic casual fan, it's amazing. I was going to say you're going to be the only one watching Peter Rosenberg – tomorrow talking about the title everyone else if they're even listening is going to turn it off immediately wow you are probably right about that um before we actually get into it one thing i want to say is they had triple h on yes triple h was on the michael k show a couple weeks ago they really ran out of guests where they had to run into triple h on the show and they were talking about um, Michael K was like, if you can get Peter into a match where he can get beaten down and injured just a little bit, he was like, that would be great. And even Triple H was like, yeah, any situation where Peter might get slightly injured is good for business. And I was like, damn, everyone hates Peter Rosenberg. And I really don't know why. I think, I don't think LaGreca's, I mean, listen, I'm not going to talk smack, but I, I think they're all kind of, uh, you think they're I'm all better than Don LaGreca? Thank you for saying that, even though I kind of just said that for you. I, I mean, <laughs> Listening to them for five hours, everyone gets annoying after a while, but he, he gets annoying first. Rosenberg. Rosenberg, yeah. Ro- Ro- Rosenberg's more of a fan than anything. Like, he's not really, like, a sports guy. He's just he's just a radio guy. Yeah. All right. So, but wait. So, just to, before we even – I mean, so the Michael K Show and Yes Network now are doing works. You have Shaq doing works for AEW with Cody Rhodes. I mean, what what's going on? Uh, when are you going to get your shot out? Like when is, when do you get to cash in the money in the bank? What's I, I mean, knowing my luck, it would probably be for a dying company like TNA or something like that where no one yeah. watches, but even, even being gifted the opportunity, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to roll down the ramp and the announcers are going to be like, Oh my God. And everyone at home, the three fans that watch TNA are going to be like, who the hell is this guy? Well, if it's TNA, it better be Kurt Angle. Oh, RIP to the goat, even though he didn't die, but his neck died a long, long time ago. <laughs> and with that, we're back for another episode. Christopher David Rubio is joining me again the today. Government name. <laughs> well, it's not that. De- well, okay. I-, I coded it for everyone. It's not really David, but I guess you could, you could kind of make out what it is Just from that. Skip the first two minutes of the, of the episode. Yeah, 100%. Oh, it's too late. <laughs> It is, um, at the time that you are listening, it will be Monday morning or Monday afternoon. It is blistery. It is blizzard-like conditions, I hope, because we're actually recording this Sunday night. So I hope the storm doesn't flop and it's like a beautiful sunny day and everyone's like, it's not snowing outside. 
But if you do live in the New York area, it is snowing and it'll be snowing for a little bit while. So you will love to listen to us today. We have you might still a great hate it. show. Now you might still you might still hate it 100%, but we have a great show in store for you today. We have a lot of topics to talk about. A lot of things happened in the sports world that don't even really involve football that much, except for the first thing that we're going to talk about. But other than that, really nothing. There was no games, anything like that. So I was I was wondering where the material was going to come from for this episode. And then the last couple nights really just gave me like the material, you know, with the whole Arenado and the whole Matthew Stafford trade and everything like that. So yeah, we're going to dive into everything. We're going to really like analyze it, scrutinize it. Maybe we get a couple other things coming up too. We want to talk about the um, MLB hall of fame and how much of a joke it has become as well. And we also want to talk a little hockey with all oh, you Ranger fans know the whole Tony D'Angelo situation. God um, awful. Yeah. God awful. So uh, we're going to kick it off with news that happened last night. Um, earlier in, was it earlier in the week where Detroit said that, you know, we're going to mutually part ways with quarterback Matthew Stafford. You know, I, I thought it was a very classy move from the Lions organization. You know, like they, they know that Matthew Stafford has potential, you know, like Hall of Fame potential talent and he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild. So they're like, listen, we're going to try and trade you. If we can't trade you, we'll release you, all that kind of stuff. Like, they did him justice. Like, he's 32 years old, still in the prime of his career. Like, I feel like the prime for quarterbacks is a lot bigger than any other position in the league. Like, I mean, look at Brady still throwing for, like, 4,500 yards and 40 touchdowns at his age, but he's just a different animal. But I do feel like the prime age for a quarterback could last, like, 10 years. I feel like, I feel like once you hit, like, 36 or 37, that's when it's like, okay hang it up, buddy. But like, you could be a productive quarterback in the NFL for, if, if you go the full four years in college, you, you could be a productive quarterback for 14, 15 years and, and have a fantastic career. But Matthew Stafford is having a hall of fame type career on a terrible team. So I, I was reading earlier in the day that the lions were saying, Hey, like, you know, we're, we're eventually going to trade him. We're just looking for a sucker to trade for. That was literally a quote from like, a, a Detroit like beat writer from it's someone bold. in the organization. That's a bold, that is a bold thing to tweet by the way, but you know what? It came true because look at those suckers in LA that gave up their franchise quarterback, quote unquote, Jared Goff, two future first round picks and a third round pick, not to mention taking on that entire salary as well. But the more that I was thinking about it, we were discussing it a little bit last night. And I, I got to thinking about it a little more. And Stafford does have two years left on his deal, but they're going to pay him like an average of like 30 something million. So there's not really that much of a swap of money. It's right. more just the picks, but I mean, this was, this was monumental, like not only for the league, cause I, I feel like as, as much better as Stafford makes the Rams, I don't think he still makes them into like a potential Super Bowl team. Yeah, I, I, I mean, listen, they, uh, they're obviously making a statement here that Stafford. I, I think you told it, you told me yesterday. Um, this, this means they have to win, right? So oh, yeah. you, you don't, you don't throw away, throw away. I mean, you trade two first round picks. It's a swap of number one overall pick quarterbacks. So one who's much later in his career, one who's I, I just got his first extension after his rookie deal. So, what to throw away that many picks? You're saying that. 
you're making a bet as LA that golf is never going to reach even Stafford like levels, which uh, let's be honest, he might have already been close to like an average Matt Stafford season. He obviously played a lot better this year and uh, golf played worse, but going forward, I mean, in terms of longevity and everything, it was Stafford, you're talking, you said 36, 37, but he's never been the perfect like uh example of, of a long-term quarterback who stays healthy all the time and golf has been relatively yeah. I mean unscathed through through the beginning of his career so yeah they gave up the picks the picks help but you're still talking about a guy who, who could Detroit's gonna be so bad anyway <laughs> it's gonna be yeah but it's not like it's a horrible deal for Detroit it definitely signals a rebuild mm-hmm. you know, new management and everything but it if it Turns out to be a good deal for golf and a good deal for Detroit. I mean, I think he had to get out of LA. We talked about it last time I was here that yeah. uh, um, Sean McVay kind of threw him under the bus and all, all season towards the end of the year. And it didn't look like that was going to work out, but um, I didn't think it was going to change over so quick, but it's uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I think Stafford does make them better in the immediate future, but um, mm-hmm. long term, if they can not. put a team around him, he's still, like I said, number one overall quarterback, let it roll. Yeah. I mean, this happened this, – they must have been talking about this for a little bit because the report yesterday as well came out in the morning saying expect Stafford to be dealt before the Super Bowl. So I was thinking, okay, a couple of days before the Super Bowl, something like that. And then, sure enough, like 10 hours later, it was well, – I would say the deal broke at like 10 o'clock, right? Something like that last night um, around there, Eastern yeah, sure, time. Yeah, we'll go with that. And I was like, wow, everything just moved so quickly, but – Really breaking down the deal, I don't think that either team – like, I obviously, you know, despite what L.A. gave up for Matthew Stafford, great short-term trade on their part. And also, for the Lions, they got a haul. They got someone that's competent, that knows how to play quarterback. They know what they're going to get in Jared Goff for the most part. You know, you're going to get someone that can make the throws that's going to be average, maybe above average at best. He's got wep- – I mean, he's had weapons in Detroit too, but he's got uh... – Well, now he's got no one because – Galladay and Marvin Jones are both free agents, so he pretty much just has Hawkinson right now, and that's. I it. mean, uh, Stafford going over to LA, he's got oh, a couple yeah. of nice weapons to work with, but um, yeah, well, yeah, so uh, yeah, so we know Detroit's a work in progress. <laughs> yeah, they've been a work in progress since we've been friends, Chris. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but going more towards like the Ram side of things, short term, I think everything works out, but I think that Les Snead and Sean McVay. And Cronkite and everyone involved knows that the Super Bowl window is within the next two to three, maybe four years, because you got guys that are expecting to get paid soon, you know, on that Rams team. They already have a lot of big contracts on defense as well. You know, they have the Ramsey deal still. They have Aaron Donald. You know, you, get, you they got a lot of guys that are coming up on contracts. They're not getting any younger on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Andrew Whitworth is probably going to retire you know, I, I actually think he did retire already. So I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure about that, but you might be right about that. I think he did retire already. So they got a couple holes on the offensive line. You know, they have good weapons and everything like that. They got some good tight ends. They're going to move on from Gerald Everett. I heard. So they got, he's got Higby. So he's got Higby, Cooper cup, Robert Woods, Van Jefferson, and Cam Akers out of the backfield. So not bad at all. Probably I'd say top, top 12 receiving corp there, but um, you have to figure, Chris, if this doesn't work, like if they don't win a Super Bowl, everyone's gone cleaning house because they're going to need a serious rebuild 
if this doesn't the the only way that they could justify giving up four first round picks in the last two trades that they made with Jalen Ramsey and now Matt Stafford is winning a Super Bowl very soon. It it almost reminds me in a in a very diluted version of the Brooklyn Nets dealing getting James Harden because yeah. it's like now their window it was a little bit bigger with Goff. Now it's super, super small with Stafford. You know? Shout out to the uh, Brooklyn Nets for losing by three to the Washington Wizards, by the way. Yeah, I mean, awful. Last time we were on, did we not say that defense was going to be an issue? And I don't think that they've given up less than 120 points since we last talked about it. Yeah, and welcome to New York media. Right away, they're asking Kyrie afterwards about his defense. <laughs> I did see that he was like, I couldn't guard a stick tonight. At least he's honest. But getting back to this, I, I do believe that there's a little bit of added pressure on the coaching staff and on Stafford because he's going from Detroit, which is like, yeah, Detroit's a hell of a football town, but in terms of media and everything, it's dead. It's a dead town. It's been a dead town, dead town. Excuse me. That was a tongue twister for a long time. And then you jump into the bright lights of LA. We don't know how he's going to handle it. You know, it might be a transitional period and they might not be able to afford a transitional period. So it's definitely going to be something interesting to keep an eye on. I thought Jared Goff said something very um, noteworthy when they asked about the trade. He was like, I'm just happy that I'm going to be playing for someone that uh, appreciates me being here. Oh yeah. So that was definitely a dig at Sean McVay. Um, But also Dan Campbell did come out and say, Hey, you know, we're going to roll the dice with Jared. And if he's not our guy, He's not our guy. And I respect like Dan Campbell. Like he did have a bit of a weird press conference when, when they, when they announced when him, they hired like, him. Yeah. he has been more vocal in the past two weeks since they hired him that three years of Matt Patricia. So it's definitely a breath of fresh air for that Detroit lions um, franchise and the fan base. And he's straightforward. Like that, that's a great thing to say. Like, yeah, we, we didn't really give up much. They gave up their best quarterback ever essentially, but he's on the back end, end of his career. You know, we got someone young that could fill those shoes in time. And if it doesn't work, we got two extra first round picks and a third round pick out of it. So it's not the end of the world. So I definitely think it's a win on both sides, but it, it comes with caution on both sides as well. That's yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think Stafford's a like, like just absolute pro. Like you could put him in any offense in the league and he'll figure it out. He'll make it work. So the bright lights of LA all, you know, I think he'll, I think he'll handle it fine. Mm-hmm. It's more about, um, like, I mean, I, I really think, like, just health-wise and everything, like you said, when you get up there as a quarterback, you know, you have to you have to wonder. They really can't afford, like, any seasons that where he's hampered with a, with a, a rib injury or, yeah. or shoulder or knee or, you know, nothing like that. Um, whereas Goff was, I mean, they, they did they, – they kind of made the offense a lot simpler. I already talked about all this, but – they made the offense a lot simpler for him, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he wasn't really like, I didn't, I didn't notice him getting like taking like ridiculous shots last year. Not like Joe Burrow, <laughs> God, but man. um, you know, you, you have a number one overall pick and we do this, all this like talk about franchise quarterbacks and we, we talk up these franchise quarterbacks and, you know, you think you're going to build a team around them and the Rams went and uh, said, well, the offense is good. Let's work on our defense. They, they, beefed up their defense over the past couple of years. And now they just decided, well, let's pull the plug on the, uh, the offensive uh, superstar. Yeah. I mean, it's cautionary for both sides, but for LA, it's kind of, I mean, what are you doing? You can't, you can't give up on a franchise quarterback investment that quickly to me. And you're giving him up with two first round picks where if this thing doesn't work out, you're giving Detroit like two 
top picks if you're yeah. if you're I mean Stafford either has to and I think he can but he has to either turn this team around and be like NFC West first place no mm-hmm. doubt like which is not no an bullshit. easy feat or or this is a fail I mean for the it's a lot easier to say this trade fails for the Rams than yeah. for the Lions because if golf just doesn't work out which he wasn't already working out in LA then mm-hmm. they have the picks but that's um there's a lot for there's a lot at stake for the Rams and yeah. like you said clean house if this is if this doesn't work yeah you have to figure no matter how quote-unquote brilliant of an offensive mind Sean McVay is you know I, I mean it kind of sucks because you know you say all oh, the head coach has to take the fall for the shortcomings of the team and the, and the GM's decisions and everything like that but at the same time who do you think spearheaded this move it had to be Sean McVay yeah because you don't just hand out a four-year $130 million contract. And then the GM goes, you know what? I don't really like you that much. I'm going to trade you. So it had to be the guy who runs the offense. It had to be, it had to be Sean McVay. And really I could see it because they did give Goff that extension one year after the Super Bowl, And it was like, okay, like, yeah, he still had a decent year, like after the Super Bowl appearance and everything like that. Is he really worth the money in the Super Bowl year? Yes. He was hundred percent worth the money. But we haven't seen (laughs) – in the Super Bowl, definitely not. But, um, you know, after that, he kind of regressed and regressed, like, violently to a point where it was like, oh, boy, like, we're paying – you know, it looks like the Carson Wentz deal is better than than the Jared Goff deal. You know, so it was like, oh, we got to do something. And I give the Rams credit because this isn't the first time that they've signed a star – to a mega contract and then just said, you know what, we're going to pull the plug on this. Yeah. We're going to eat some salary cap, but we're not going to sit here and try and justify giving this person the contract. So they also did it with Todd Gurley. Uh, there was a list of players I saw. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the other player right now, but Goff is the second person in a couple of years or two years because they gave Gurley the, the contract extension. And then they pulled the plug on him last year. Now yeah. it's Goff. So I do give them credit for um, what, like, like realizing that they have a problem. And no matter how much money is attached to it, they get rid of it. So I, I do commend them for that. And because you could turn a franchise around in one year, you can, sure. it, it's happened. It's so, football for sure. Yeah. So why, why try and drag it out to try and justify a contract when you could eat the money now and then just move on and just try something different. So I think that's what Les Snead and company has done in the past couple of years. And I think it'll work out for them. We'll win them a Super Bowl. We don't know. We well, definitely I, don't know. Yeah, I mean, look, and, and I see your point, and I think that's that's honestly, like, it, it does take a lot to, to actually pull the plug and say we have to move on from this. Mm-hmm. But one, I guess it just doesn't justify making the contract in the first place. Although, like you said, the regression came out of kind of out of nowhere. Didn't it, No one really expected that, you know, mm-hmm. from golf to go from so dominant to so, like, sketchy on the field. But um, it definitely, I mean, I usually, like you said, we, we usually feel bad about giving all the flack to the coaches, but three years ago, we were giving Sean McVay all the praise in the world. So if the problem isn't Gurley and it isn't Goff anymore, and those are the guys who did all the numbers for him in the Super Bowl year and all that, then it's got to fall to somebody. You can't yeah. really, you can't just keep getting rid of players and saying, oh, it's their fault. Or, you know, we thought we had more here at some point you got to win with the guys you got or the guys that you get. If, if in four years or, or whatever, they haven't even been close to a Super Bowl. you, you said it, you hit the nail on the head. Everyone's gone. Yeah. It has to be, you can't say, it's not like a, it's not a rebuilding situation where you look at like Dan Campbell say, we'll, we'll go the opposite end of the spectrum where if the Detroit Lions go two and 14 this year, 
there's no expectations attached to to him in his first year. Essentially, it's like what happened with Matt Rule this year and Joe Judge. There's no expectations. So essentially, you get a year off where it's like, okay, you've done your your analyzing, you've made the adjustments. You know, we say we you know, these are the people that you're looking for. We got you these people. Now, really, the second year for a lot of these coaches is their first year. And right. I feel like that's the case with Dan Campbell, not the case with Sean McVay. This is probably the third, the second or third time that they have swapped personnel and go, okay, Sean, let's see what you got. You know, a Super Bowl appearance doesn't mean shit. I'm sorry. That's a Super Bowl appearance. It's not a Super right. Bowl victory. You know, you can't, that's, that's why I think the Eagles were a little hard on Doug Peterson, despite what he did in week 17, where it was like, you know what? I think a Super Bowl victory, what was it? Three years ago, something like that. Yeah. At the time, it was three years ago. It it utters more respect than just getting you know fired after missing the playoffs one time. But that we're going down a little bit of a rabbit hole there. Yeah. On that, but, but, I mean, but you're right because think about it for for the amount of credit Doug Peterson isn't getting, he didn't even have a starting quarterback that year. Yeah, uh, for the for the Super Bowl. Meanwhile, McVay, it's it's you know he's one of the most brilliant coaches, young coaches in the league, offensive minds, whatever, and can't then, get it done. It just got to keep changing players. Like, so we give, we give some guys a lot of credit and we throw a lot of guys under the bus quick, but I, I see your point. That's actually a great point with Peterson. Thank you, Chris. You're welcome, Peter. Now um, kind of shifting, we're staying on football here, shifting just a little bit. This got me thinking and, and um, about a tweet that I saw Adam Schefter put out the other day. And they also reiterated it on the Freddie and Fitzsimmons show later on at night. That is the, show I listened to on the way home from work after t- at 12 o'clock at night. Yeah. You could say whatever you want about that. I like Freddie and Fitzsimmons. All right. But um, it was a quote saying that I expect something on long lines. I don't have the quote right now. It was like, I expect um, up to 18 teams could have a different starting quarterback in 2021, which I was like blown away when I heard that, like that is an unprecedented number. And I do have a list here of teams that I think, will be in the market or at least shopping for a quarterback. And it, it kind of adds up. So Chris, I need you to keep count for me here because I can't count and speak at the same time. I'm not that talented. So as I rattle off these team names, I'm going to need you to hold the, hold up some fingers for me or something. But so the way I figure it, I see the Atlanta Falcons, the Carolina Panthers, the bears, the Cowboys, the Broncos, Texans, Colts, Jaguars, Dolphins, Patriots, Saints, Jets, 49ers, and Washington football team. And maybe you could maybe throw, maybe throw the Eagles and the Raiders in there too. Maybe. All right. If your number at home is under 10, you're, you're wrong. But I think I lost count. I think it was six, I think 16, and then the maybes are 17, 18. Okay. Wow. Okay. So I guess Schefter was pretty much, uh, pretty much uh, on the head there. But yeah, there's a cup, there's so many teams that like, a lot of these are trade targets because, I mean, the way that I'm thinking about it right away, if Atlanta moves on from Matt, Matt Ryan, I could immediately see him going to New England. Like, that is just like a perfect fit, in my opinion. Like, Matt Ryan in New England with Bill Belichick is just seems like a match made in heaven in 2021. But there's going to be – essentially, I'm not really trying to get into predictions on this specific topic. I just really want to – like mention it to everyone that's listening that you might hear the most speculation about quarterbacks in the NFL offseason that you've ever heard before. And that's draft. That's 
trade rumors, free agency. Like there's really no spectacular free agents. So the fact that there's potentially this many teams in the market for a quarterback is astounding. The best, the best free agent quarterback out there is Dak Prescott. And for all intents and purposes, I do believe that he'll be re-signing with Dallas. I don't really see him going anywhere else. So the turnover is going to be insane. Like I even heard someone saying, which I don't know how true this is, that Cincinnati might even be in, in the running for a quarterback because they just don't know. They, they need an insurance policy behind Joe Burrow. You don't know how that knee is going to be. So they need a good backup, which I, I at first when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's ludicrous. Like Joe Burrow is a franchise quarterback. But then I thought, I was like, yeah, you know, he might never, never be the same with the knee injury. So it's always good to have an insurance policy. So we're going to see some wild turnover this season. I- yeah, I, I guess the uh, the burrow is going to be more like uh, for sure the injury, but it's not. I mean, you're looking at it from that perspective right away. It has nothing to do with his talent or his yeah. you know long term plans on the team. He's you know he's a star. He's going to be there if all things you know all things equal. He's going to come back. He's going to be as good as he was, if not better. He's going to get better. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I don't know if you see anybody there that you could see going there and filling in that one year slot because I know ACLs are. I mean, they're not what they used to be, but they're still tricky. It was one so. person that I was thinking behind and like, obviously because of this stage in his career, I was thinking Ryan Fitzpatrick. Oh, okay. Because he is a free agent, but at the same time, like he could still garner a free, a, a starting position from a transitional team. Like I could, I could easily see a team, maybe if Houston doesn't get a top pick for Deshaun Watson, say they don't trade Deshaun Watson or, or, or they do, but they don't get like a top pick and they need a transitional quarterback. Yeah. Then you get, you know, you get Fitzpatrick there or even the Colts or something like that. The bears, there's a lot of like transitional teams that I feel like you're going to see a lot of interesting quarterbacks. And, and um, I am going to make this into a YouTube video at some point. Uh, I was really, (laughs) it sucks because I was working hard on this before I got the news yesterday, so I have to do a lot of editing to this this list, and I have to do a lot of rewriting. But eventually, within the next couple of weeks, I will get something like this out there. I'll try and break up the content. I've been doing a ton of baseball content on YouTube lately, and I want to get that mini series that I'm doing done as well. So there's going to be a lot of content uploaded on YouTube, and if you're not subscribed right now, I suggest you do so because I got a lot of cool things coming up. There's a lot of really nice ideas. That I think we're going to have fun. There's going to be a lot of IRL type of stuff eventually when the snow eventually melts out from in front of my house and everything like that. So I'm just really excited about the direction that the YouTube channel is going in. Uh, I didn't want to mention this, but Chris said I should mention it. Um, I, we, we did get our first um, video over a thousand views. Um, and it was like the most random one that I didn't expect that it was going to get. It was the uh, 2018 NFL redraft video. And just before we started recording, I, I went to it and saw that the 1K was next to the video. So it is confirmed. Yes, 1,000 views finally. It only took me literally 99 attempts. I have 99 YouTube videos. So <laughs> you put a lot of stuff out there. I do put a lot of stuff out there. So you'll never be dissatisfied as a subscriber. There's a ton of content, but we, I do pretty much everything. I mainly focus on baseball and football, but I do squeeze in some basketball there and, and do some random topics every once in a while. So um, I do a lot of throwback stuff too. So it's, I, I think it's a good subscription. If I, if I wasn't the content creator, I'd subscribe to the channel. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> but getting back to the point um, and the task at hand, there's going to be some crazy turnover. I'm really excited to see how it is. I feel like 
in, you know, I feel like the NFL always has to like outdo every other sport because I've never seen so much anticipation for an MLB season like this upcoming one. And I already know that this off season for the NFL is going to be crazy to the point where it's going to suck some of the media attention away from baseball and put it back into the NFL. That's just how powerful the NFL is in America. I mean, think about what happened with Harper going from uh, the nationals to the Phillies. It was like, yeah, we talked about it, but it was kind of like just waiting for someone to make a move. Somebody kind of like give us a hint one way, which side was leaning mm-hmm. with this Watson situation. It's kind of like, everyone's just sitting there like refreshing their phone every 10 seconds. Like when's it going to happen? It's going to happen now. Right? Like it's <laughs> edge of your seat news. And it's the, the NFL season hasn't even turned over yet. You know, I, I mean, I love baseball, but for some reason their free agents and trade rumors and stuff just don't hold as much attention. No, they don't. And you, you're, you are right about that in the sense where it's like, even the marketability, like, yeah. you see like State Farm has Mahomes and Rogers and even these ex football players from years ago, like Deion Sanders is still having like Subway, like endorsements. You I don't know like what I mean? to say that I hate any of those commercials, but I hate every single <laughs> one of those commercials. State Farm, Subway, yeah, if they give Eli a, a Frank's Red Hot, then I'm just, I'm going to have to like stop watching everything. That would be, honestly, I'd be very intrigued to see what that's all about, uh, Eli with a Frank's Red Hot. But anyway, like Mike Trout to me is, there. there's three people in my my opinion that just dominate sports. Like if I had to choose three American athletes right now that were, you know, untouchable in their sport. I'd say um, LeBron James, Patrick Mahomes, Mike Trout. And the fact that you never see a Mike Trout endorsement anywhere other than MLB TV or MLB network is like disgraceful. That's why I think it's like, damn, like MLB does a poor job. The only other sport that does a poor job marketing their players is, is the NHL. And that's because they're crippled in the fact that they are the fourth largest sport in the United States. Like they can't help that. You know, X, X Games and Snowboarding USA does a better job of promoting Chloe Kim, who just won her first. She was place on the Mass Singer, Games. by the way. Was she? Yeah. Oh, I, I watched that, that with my girlfriend and my girlfriend's mom. Fantastic show, if you haven't watched it, by the way. And you know what? That counts as promotion too for a sport that isn't even in the top four in in the United States. Meanwhile, Mike Trout, it's like I, you see him post a an Instagram ad about a about some cleats or or, or some bats, and it's like uh, Mike. Come on, man. Get us excited for this stuff, man. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a very um I, I love the the argument where some people are like, you know, not everyone that's a superstar has to be has to have a great personality and everything like that. It's like, dude, that is such baloney in my opinion, because if you're the best, you have to act like the best. Don't give me this humble pie bullshit. You know what I mean? Like Mike Trout knows that he's the best player in baseball. He has to know it. Everyone else knows it. And that's why I feel like he just doesn't get the marketability that these other stars get where it's like, he's maybe he's like, Oh, like, I don't want to take that because you know, that, that really puts me out there. Get out there, Mike. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe he doesn't need it for the money, but for the exposure of the game of baseball, they need a star to step up. I don't even care. It doesn't have to be the best player. It could be, Jacob deGrom, it could be Francisco Lindor, uh, Bryce Harper, you know, someone like that, that just has a face that, you know what I mean? Like, like 
Francesco Lindor has the perfect New York smile, in my opinion. You know what I mean? As weird as that sounds, like he's just got that charisma and that look. That could be a perfect star to to model your whole entire franchise around. And I feel like baseball, we 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 as as we say a lot, we've gone down a rabbit hole here, but <laughs> this might be a, a, a deeper conversation for another day. But yeah, I, I MLB has no idea how to market their superstars. MLB and, Network. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just oh, going to say ahead. MLB Network on that point. First of all, I do think Trout, you know, humble and all can still be humble and, and still be a kick-ass promoter for the MLB. I don't know why he's not. But um, MLB Network, I remember last year when they put out all those ads about Starling Marte being on, on the Diamondbacks, and it was like, wow, this is great for the city in Arizona, and it's so big. And then it was like, he's gone. <laughs> and he's gone. So I think that's part of it. Like, just there's so much turnover and like, peaks and valleys in, like, MLB careers that just – but Trout that's is so sport, consistent. Though. Trout is so damn consistent. It's like, it's, it's a shame. Yeah, it really is. But like I said, that could be a conversation for another day, like a really deep conversation. Cause there's a lot to, there's a lot to untuck in that, in that genre that That's a lot of people sure. don't talk about. So <laughs> maybe another day, Chris, we could talk about that, but we have to move on. Speaking of the MLB, uh, I do want to talk about, this was probably the most exciting week for the MLB off season that we've had. And it wasn't even really that exciting, but like it was at the same time, it's just so low key. You know, there's so many things going on that I'm just like, huh, Brad hand signed. That's cool. Where in other years, I'd be yeah. like, oh, my God, Brad had side with the Nationals. It's like, wow. But now I'm just like, huh. Team okay. with the worst bullpen ever. Yeah, well, that's why they needed him. But getting into some of these transactions, I'll, um, I wanted to kind of just go day by day and tell you, like, the really, like, oh, stop the presses. I just read one that I didn't even know. Freddie Galvis signed with the Orioles. Didn't see that before. But congratulations to Freddie Galvis on joining a permanent rebuild in Baltimore. But <laughs> some of the transactions that took place this week, um, the Yankees and Red Sox made a trade, which hasn't happened. I think it's for like 25 years or something like that. And it was the most uninspiring trade that you could ever see. It was the Yankees just clearing some cap space on a roster spot, trading Adam Adovino and Frank Herman and cash considerations to the, <laughs> to the Red Sox. And they got back a player to be named later and some yeah. cash considerations. Imagine Adovino being worth only like cash back on the Yankees, uh, payroll when he first got there uh yeah i mean he was that was one of my like my dad and, and myself were like ecstatic we were like oh my god yeah. like out of you know what a great ad and his first year yeah he was a great ad last year atrocious and he's not worth nine million dollars this guy i mean he bottomed out big time big time but um the next one i want to talk about was kind of something that came out of left field i just kind of mentioned it before but brad hand signing a one-year contract with the nationals when every report, and this this also strengthens my my point where I say that MLB insiders are some of the worst in sports. For sure. Where they said the two teams that it's down to are the Mets and the Toronto Blue Jays, seemingly the two teams that have been in on every single free agent so far this offseason. Don't forget and, the Dodgers could sneak in at any yeah, moment. I mean, the Dodgers <laughs> don't have to be on in, in on anyone. Magic Johnson could just be like, hey, I'm going to offer you a bag, take it. Yeah. Well, you're the defending World Series champion, so of course, and you're in LA, so you know, great weather, you know, great everything, so of course. But yeah, that seemingly came out of left field. I was certainly surprised with that move. It's a great move for Washington because, as Chris said before, horrible bullpen. Like this terrible bullpen. When like Tanner Rainey is your closer, like you got problems. But um, they needed a left-handed. Uh, arm 
And another thing is, too, I think it's a big loss for Brad Hand because he could have easily gotten, I'm not even talking about money, years-wise. He could have easily gotten more years and probably more money value-wise on the Mets or the Blue Jays because I don't know if you remember, we saw, what did, what did Hendricks get? Liam Hendricks got like, like $39 million. Yeah. He got I'm a lot sure. of money. Because I saw, I saw initially it was four, and then someone changed it to three, and then something still said four. So if anyone knows, but I, I don't know. I think it's three. I believe it's three years, thirty nine million. So thirteen million dollars is hefty. Like that's you're yeah. reaching like you're reaching like Chapman territory of like payment. Well, you know what I mean. Well, well I that's, mean that's another conversation for another day. But these these reliever roles, I mean, they they change so often. They work out like they probably have the lowest amount of of the, the rate that that these. Um, bullpen uh, pitchers actually like work out and last for multiple years is probably so low that yeah you have to be just the top of uh, of Cream the baseball the world yeah. in, in terms of, of relief pitching to actually get a long-term extension like that but I do think the Mets were in a position to make that kind of a move and mm-hmm. kind of surprised um, yeah and you know I I have um I have an engagement with a friend of mine on Instagram a lot uh, he's a big Met fan. Obviously, everyone knows I'm a big Yankee fan, but I'm not one of those Yankee fans that hates on any team. Like, I, I always want to see the Mets do good. The only team I never want to see do good is the Red Sox, obviously. But, um, you know, he said to me when the Yankees – I touched on it last week when the Yankees got Jamison Tyon. He was like, oh, wow, look at the Yankees finally making moves. And I said to him, I was like, guy, the only move that you've really made in this offseason was getting Lindor. I was like, you're in on every free agent, but you don't sign anyone. I was like, McCann, so, you like McCann. Yeah, I like McCann too. You know, that was a signing too. And they did sign Trevor May. So I was like, all right, like good pieces. But at the same time, like the amount of people that you've been in on and you haven't signed, like that's a little bit embarrassing. But, you know, whatever. I just thought I'd, I'd mention that. But <laughs> um, getting more towards some of the other deals, you look here, uh, Jerson Profar signed um, an extension with San Diego. The Yankees finally came, you know, to an official contract signing with LeMahieu and Kluber. Um, the Nationals signed John Lester to a one-year deal. And that's interesting because everyone forgets how good the Nationals' rotation is. So the top three is probably arguably the top three best in the league. You could argue a couple maybe, but you got Scherzer, still on the back end of his career, but still fantastic. Steven Strasburg coming back healthy and Patrick Corbin. And then you add John Lester to the mix and probably, I don't know, some fifth starter or whatever, maybe um, Austin Voth or something like that. So, sorry about that. Be a good fifth starter on any team. Sorry that uh, I I I took my headphones out of my microphone there for a second, so I couldn't hear what you were saying. That's all right. Um, I didn't say anything. (laughs) Okay, so that's what that awkward pause was for. Yeah, but um, you're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, Lester to the Nationals. He's like thirty thousand years old. So. Uh, he's coming off of a pretty atrocious year, but the year before that was pretty good. So, you know, you don't know what you're going to get with John Lester. It's a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, nothing really too crazy on Thursday. Then you got on Friday, I believe it says here, the lion, the lions. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the Detroit thing and I was like, oh yeah, we just talked about the lions for 20 minutes, but Wilson uh, Ramos is going to be playing quarterback. For, uh... <laughs> he might as well be, but uh, the Detroit Tigers signed Wilson Ramos. Um, the Cardinals signed ageless wonder Adam Wainwright to another one-year deal. That's something I didn't think that that was going to happen. Um, Wainwright's coming back for like his 
trying to do the math here. 15th, 16th season, 17th season. I can't Keep do going, math for shit. <laughs> I can't do math for shit, but I think it's a 17th season with St. Louis. So that's, that's, that's awesome. I, and now, now it, it, now it begs the question, do they sign? They, they seem like a team that loves and really respects their legends. So like now I'm curious to see if Yachty wants to play another year, if they do give him a deal. I think enough is enough with Yachty, in my opinion. You know, I, I think he just needs to kind of ride off into the sunset. But, you know, they don't really have any great catching prospects as it is. So they might they might need to use him for another year or so. But um, Wainwright signed. Then you got the deal that I was talking about before where the Mets signed Aaron Loop. And I know we wanted to touch on this just a little bit um, because Loop was kind of a guy – in the Tampa Bay Rays bullpen this past season that flew way under the radar. That is a, is a lefty with a funky delivery throws 95 plus, you know, lefty specialist, even though those don't really exist anymore. And that's exactly what the Mets needed. If they were going to miss out on Brad hand and not re-sign Justin Wilson, they needed to get a lefty. And to be honest with you, I see like loop even flew under the radar in free agency for me as well. As, as soon as I saw it, saw them sign. I was like, damn, I forgot that he was a free agent. So I think that's a great move for the Mets. That's someone that could fly. Like when they got Justin Wilson, I feel like this is a very similar deal where it was like, okay, Justin Wilson's good. Like, let's see what he can do. And Justin Wilson turned in two brilliant seasons. In Yeah. Well, in that's two- where I'm a little bit less optimistic. I think it's an okay deal. I, um, I kind of would hope they would have set their, their sights a little bit higher. Like he's like you said before with, uh, with hand and loop. I mean, it like I I said this to you too. It it sounds it feels a little bit like the Yankees getting Darren O'Day. Yeah. Just uh, you know, <laughs> a guy who's. I mean, you kind of know what. Mentioning. Huh? Because it wasn't even worth mentioning. Well, you know, there you kind of know what you expect from them. So anything less, and I mean, well, actually, both had good years last year. So anything less than that already feels like a disappointment. And do you expect them to repeat those kind of numbers? Uh, I don't even what was uh. What was O'Day like towards the end of the year? We was like one. O'Day actually had a fantastic season last year, but that was in an extremely reduced role. And, and the I, Rays were doing uh, four day starter, uh, four starting pitchers, and a relief day. So I mean, Luke got work, but uh, yeah. I don't know uh, if if that's if that's it for the Mets in terms of relief pitching. That's uh, a little disappointing. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, Trevor May, that was a great signing. Like, that's a really nice back. That that takes so much pressure off of Familia and Diaz. But, like, I, get, I guess I get what you're saying where it's like they need a long reliever. You know, they probably need another arm or two. And then it's like, all right, loop in May with all this money. Like, that's kind of disappointing. But It can't be understated how important Seth Lugo was to that rotation, uh, to that bullpen last year, and then got moved to the rotation. And the bullpen was just like, oh, great, what do we do now? That's very true. That that's that is very true. So, what's the so the Mets rotation right now is looking like? Just to put it in a little bit of perspective, so you got what? It's Degrom, if Syndergaard comes back healthy. Carrasco. Uh, I know I'm missing someone. Stroman. Stroman, and then probably Lugo, right? I would think it's Lugo, but that kind of sucks because, like you said, Lugo's the perfect long relief guy, especially yeah. for the Mets. He wants to start. Well, I think he got when he got a taste of uh, starting in the World Baseball Classic. I think uh, a couple years ago, I think that's what did it for him when he was well, starting every single game for Puerto Rico. <laughs> he's got good stuff. Yeah, uh, he does. 
the innings, it's it, he, I mean, I, I, this is the analytics of baseball talking where it's like three times through the lineup, you just start to say, well, when are they going to give up the big hit? Him, it takes a little bit less than that. It's like two and a half yeah. times through the lineup and he's getting clobbered, but not always. I, I think he could actually be a starter if he actually got the reps there, but maybe not. He, he's so dominant in the pen. You don't even want to touch it. He is. You're definitely right about that. I completely like that. That flew under the radar to me as like a, oh yeah, I forgot that like Lugo was so dominant because he's so like, I don't want to say he's so average because he's really not as a starter. Like I'd say that he's, he's a decent starter. So that's why I was like, oh, like that's what you're going to get. And then you forget like the years that he had at the back end of that, that bullpen. And adding adding May and loop good, you know, Familia had a bounce back year. Diaz started looking good towards the end, but it's all for naught If you can't, I mean, you can't send the same four guys out there every day. uh, And uh, the rotation is, I mean, it always looks like they have pieces in place for their rotation and, you know, a wheel falls off the wagon, whether it's Syndergaard or whatever, Stroman opting out. You, you need you need options. And if immediately after all their options are gone, it's Lugo's back in the rotation, the pen suddenly goes from a place of, a position of strength to you're kind of, you know, yeah. you're bringing up guys who you haven't even heard of. And then you got, I mean, it, it's kind of rough besides for those back-end guys and maybe loop because, you, you know, you're only going to get a few batters out of loop. You're not going to get extended. Right, that's, time. So he's not even like a yeah. long-term option out of the and, pen. I mean, who else do you put? You got, oh, you got Corey Oswalt and Gesellman because Gesellman's out of options. So it's either he stays on the 40-man roster or you, you release him or you – um Paul Seaworld, my favorite desi- guy ever. <laughs> designate him for assignment rather. So yeah, it gets it gets a little murky once you get towards like I feel like the back end of the road, um, the bullpen is good, the rest of it is kind of like oh like we the get... point is let's hope they sign somebody else. Yeah, essentially. Thanks for just really shitting on me there and and, and moving <laughs> and moving on. I appreciate that. I actually needed that. Well, because otherwise I'm gonna I'm gonna hammer the Mets all day long because they make me they're the most annoying franchise in baseball. Oh my goodness. Okay, so moving on to the last um. Well, I love the Mets, but the, listen, all this daddy Steve Cohen stuff is starting to get annoying. It is, actually. And that's that's coming from a Yankee fan that was absolutely ecstatic to see Steve Cohen. Get Me the, too. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I loved it. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Now I'm like, okay, like, and now he's picking fights with Dave Portnoy on Twitter, and he deleted it's to, his Twitter. It's and to it's your like, point. Okay. You're in on every player, but you sign nobody. I mean, listen. You're, you're, you're talking the big talk and uh, not walking nothing. You don't want to wear out your welcome quick in New York because this media turns on you and, like, 20 minutes yeah 100 percent. the last notable free agent signing before i really wanted to talk about the big big thing that happened this week was um the this happened a little while ago but the twins finally um did finalize the deal with andrelton simmons that was the only thing i'll say about this was i thought that oh i'm sorry and i, I forgot to mention one other thing Didi gregorius resigning with the Philadelphia Phillies on a two-year, twenty-eight million dollar contract. There goes well. Freddie Galvin's, and that's again <laughs> Freddie Galvis. But um, oh the, Galvis, Galvis. But the two, um, that kind of pains me as as a Yankee fan because the Yankees have a surplus of players at every position on the field except for shortstop. Glaber Torres is not a shortstop. He'll never be a shortstop. My plan. I don't know if I if I if I told you this, if I was Cashman this year would be I would maximize the value of Luke Voigt leading the league in home runs. I would have traded him by now, either Ooh. gotten a shortstop or gotten a starter for him. I would have moved LeMayhew to first base, moved Torres to second, have Urshela obviously play, obviously play third, and then have 
either one of the two guys I was hoping they would sign was either Simmons or Gregorius again, and then have them as kind of like a stopgap because I think one of their top prospects is a shortstop. So obviously he'd be coming up soon, but that's kind of a disappointment on the Yankees end of the spectrum, but clearly they have their mind in pitching. And honestly, the offense and the defense will come with the Yankees. That's a given. Pitching is no guarantee. So if that's what they want to focus on for the rest of the offseason, I'm okay with that. But I think that's a really good get for the Twins. They made a questionable move earlier in the offseason with designated uh, designated Eddie Rosario, who actually just signed with the Cleveland Indians a couple days ago, too. Um, I didn't really understand that, but I guess that frees up a little bit of space. And also their like top prospect is a shortstop. So maybe this is the one-year contract that they need as like a bridge player until Royce Lewis comes up. Um, I don't know. The twins are like that team that it's like, Oh, on paper, it's like, Oh God, like they don't look that great. And then they wind up hitting 5 billion home runs and just winning a ton of games. So I'm not going to say anything bad about the twins. They always find a way to win. They're well coached. um, And they're also, they're a, they're just a well-run organization, but yeah. And welcome to a utility held for Luis Arise. Um, I mean, there's that and Polanco moving over to second. They're doing effectively what you said you want the Yankees to do with Torres without actually giving up anybody, save for Eddie Rosario. Um, yeah, I don't. That's there's really no. I, I don't even know how that works out. I guess I just got to wait for yeah, the season on that. But one. they decluttered their organization. That's what I was trying to get the Yankees, you know what I mean? Trying to like think about it that way where it's like, Oh, you got all these players in so many different positions. Like let's declutter it. Let's get a long-term starting pitcher for it. But I mean, that didn't happen or it didn't happen yet. There's still, there's still two weeks before spring training. So a lot of stuff happens before spring training and even in spring training, especially last year, there was a lot of free agent signings in spring training. So really moving on to the big, uh, the big, big Kahuna, I guess, or whatever the hell, I don't know how to say that. Kahuna, okay, there you go. Oh boy, that was a rough, that was rough there. But um, the big trade, the big, the big transaction of the week was Nolan Arenado finally getting his wish, one year into an eight-year, two hundred and sixty million dollar extension, getting traded to the St. Louis Cardinals for essentially a bag of chips and a soda to be named later, and fifty million dollars. And fifty million dollars. Actually, that's a lie. I, I missed, I messed that up. Arenado got traded with the $50 million for a bag of chips and a soda to be named later. I actually, I'm not even totally sure who the player, who the players are. Is it really just a player to be named later? It's three. The the best return they got was the number nine prospect in their, in their farm system. And then it's two other prospects and that's pretty much it. Well, uh, and we just, with your, uh, with your third baseman list that, uh, that came out the other day, uh, I was, we were talking about uh, the numbers that Arenado could put up in Coors Field and how, you know, it gets a lot of, there's a stigma to that, obviously, every year. But, um, I, I mean, and I, I think what I was saying more or less was that I think he's legitimate no matter what ballpark he goes to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that he would be willing to, put that on the line to go to a place like St. Louis. Um, I guess St. Louis has done it before. I, I mean, actually, when I found out about it, the first thing I thought about was how they did the same thing with Paul Goldschmidt, you know, 30-something-year-old uh, mm-hmm. star corner infielder. And they're like, yeah, we don't mind taking the taking the money on this. They just You rely on the fact that they're such good hitters that they're going to be able to lead your lineup, even though, I mean, yeah. Arizona thought it was, an, it was a like a, you know, like an afterthought of Goldsmith, uh, uh, Goldschmidt. And then uh, – 
what whatever I, they they're kind of like in a weird rebuild now and now the rockies maybe this is them saying that you know it hasn't been in the cards for the last two years at least uh and Arenado wanted to move anyway. Yeah, the Rockies are an interesting case because they have so many bats, or well, they did, where you know they had David Dahl, where I'm pretty sure they they non-tendered him, and he's still unsigned, which is interesting to me. You know, mm-hmm. they had him, they had Trevor Story, who is one of the top shortstops in the game. Um, you know, Nolan Arenado. They have just so many good hitters. Ryan McMahon, Brendan Rogers coming up. That's yeah, they just out, but he was there. He had so many good players, but that just no pitching. And in a in a in a ballpark where you need you listen, they could probably let's for instance say that Jacob Degrom was on the Rockies. I'd say he still pitched to the tune of like a three five ERA, and he's the best pitcher in baseball. It's only be, purely because of the atmosphere that they play in. I think he's more swing and miss though. Yeah, but you, you know what I mean? Like like hard contact that would be an out in City Field would probably be a home run in, in Coors Field. That's that where I'm really great. trying to get at. The air, the atmosphere is just so thin that the ball flies. So really you need pitching. And co- the Colorado Rockies have just been completely blind to the fact where like their best starter over the past 10 years has been Herman Marquez. You know what I mean? Like we're like Herman Mar- Marquez is a good pitcher. John but Gray. He cannot be. John Gray is awful. <laughs> he cannot be your best pitcher. Like they rolled out last year with a with a their top three being Marquez, John Gray, and Kyle Freeland. What is that? Like you know what I mean? And Anthony Senzatella, like great He's Italian good. name, but you know not really that great. So it's like you really but needed to. That make, comes with the caveat uh, of what you just said is that you know they're not great, but they're pitching half of their games in one of the hardest places to pitch. In the league, I actually think those guys are decent, which is why it's so hard to like even pinpoint it as as a position of weakness because they probably look great, decent. But you have to be, you have to be great. Like you can't be a decent pitcher and pitch for Colorado. You need like an absolute like all star. I mean, look, take take Wade Davis for example. When Wade Davis was on Kansas City and Chicago and everything like that, lights out, dominant, amazing. Then he made the switch to Colorado and he pitched to the tune of like an eight ERA. Same thing with Brian Shaw. Brian Shaw was designated for assignment a year after going to the world series with Cleveland because of how bad he pitched in, in Colorado. You know what I mean? You just, you need to be the best to pit like that. That's the only way that Colorado could win. If they just focus on pitching prospects and building that farm system with lights out pitchers, because the offense is going to come no matter who you have hitting in that lineup, you play in that that stadium for 81 games. You know what I'm saying? With an average offense, you could at least win 50 of those games in that stadium and, and good pitching. So I guess the deal makes sense from uh, – <laughs> if you want to look at the glass half full from the Rockies standpoint, they do get a ready-made pitcher. And I'm drawing a blank on his name, but the number nine prospect is like a ready-made starting pitcher. So, like, I guess that's good. The other two guys are, like, lower-level guys, and it was essentially just a salary dump and $50 million. I don't actually remember any of the prospects in the uh, – It was that on no, – it was, it was that not noteworthy, Chris. That's, it, that's how bad it was from the Colorado standpoint. They essentially got nothing, but they also had no leverage. They have a, a disgruntled star 
who has a, a ridiculous contract attached to him with seven years remaining on that contract, mind you, and two options. So really, if you look at it, Colorado can't even say, oh, well, you have stability. You have seven years left. Why are you giving me nothing? Arenado could opt out after this year if he wanted to. You know what I mean? And then he could opt out the year after that if he wanted to. So the yeah. contract from, from an organizational standpoint, the organization got fleeced in that contract. Got fleeced. They wound up paying Arenado a crap load of money for one year and then him going, you know what, I don't want to be here anymore. And then they wound up still paying the team $50 million to take him. And it's not like he's a liability. He's gold glove. He's, he's coming off he's of a gold the, glove. <laughs> he's literally one of the best defensive third basemen I've ever seen. And I'll stand by my statement by saying that when it's all said and done for Arenado, he will be one of the best third basemen of all time, purely just because of his defense. And then he won't get into the Hall of Fame because, I mean, wait, hold on. I just jumped like 20 topics here. But, <laughs> um, uh, and that's hitting aside. We're talking about the defensive, the, the, just how good he is defensively. I mean, you know, third base is third base no matter where you play. You have to be, you know, if, if you play at a gold glove level, you're going to play at a gold glove level no matter where anywhere. you are. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But, St. Louis is a good hitting field too. I mean, it's not yeah. great American. It's not Coors Field, but it's, uh, I mean. Yeah, the ball flies out of there too. You're not going to see any regression from him there. I mean, the 60 games of last year has been just a, a big question mark for a lot of guys who yeah. seemingly regressed, you know, unless it was something like, uh, I, I mean, not batting average on balls in play, but like just strikeout rates and stuff. That's been mm -hmm. more indicative of like guys who, who are regressing or, or just you know maybe they had a fluky or whatever mm -hmm. but right Arenado I mean uh, you give him 162 games and that lineup with Goldschmidt and DeJong and I, oh, I mean man. They, it's just loaded from top to bottom you got what just boggles my mind is is the fact that St. Louis didn't have to give up one of their two best prospects they didn't have to give up Nolan Jones or they didn't have to give up um, I'm sorry, not Nolan Jones, Nolan Gorman. They didn't have to give up Nolan Gorman or Dylan Carlson. And it's funny because Nolan Gorman is a third baseman. So right away I was like, okay, like Gorman has to be one of those prospects because like, yeah, it's a like for like switch. It's just, he's extremely cheap compared to Arenado and obviously doesn't play at the level of defense that Arenado does, but like, he's a good player with a good bat that you could develop. And when I saw that he wasn't part of that, I was like, wow, like St. Louis is going to be a problem because their pitching staff is is good, not great. Their bullpen is good, not great. But their lineup, top to bottom, full of guys that can hit for average or power. You, you not have to pick like, up the bill? Exactly. Like, but no, you're saying lineup. Very lineup. Good. I mean, you got guys like you got Bader, Tommy Edmond, like you said, DeYoung, you know, Tyler O'Neill. Um, maybe I, it, catcher is really the only area of weakness for them. Like you said, Goldschmidt, who was hitting back to like, he regained a little bit of his form last year in St. Louis, like, you know, looking good. Let's get a full season out of him to really see what, like, what he, he could do with his newfound form. Same thing, Arenado, like you're going to see them flip flop, like whoever bats third or fourth, like it's going to get so many more pitches to hit because now that's so much more protection in the lineup. And Tommy Edmond actually had a couple of good seasons or, or one good, I think it's only one full season. Well, not really because you have a 60 game season, but I mean, I don't know where he plugs into. I guess he's in utility hell also now, but yeah. um, hey, that's uh he's a good bat to throw in the middle of the lineup too. I, I mean, there was a stretch where he got a little, he was hitting the ball pretty well last year. And I remember just 
in particular thinking like I, I thought he was younger than he was. I didn't realize he was like almost 26. Like he'll be 26 this year. Yeah. So uh, it's not like it's not like they're going Arenado over like the third baseman of the future. Like you said, yeah. um, Nolan Gorman Gorman is the uh, is is really the future there. But well, the way that I see it is now that that push because the way that the infield was set up for this year at least was Goldschmidt, Edmund, DeYoung, and Carpenter. Now, you don't have to take Edmund out of the lineup because Colton Wong is gone. So you have Edmund slide over that's to true. second, and then you have that – is a, that is an all-star infield right there. Like, that's – you got Arenado at third, DeYoung at short, Edmund at second, and Goldschmidt at first. Like, that's – it makes them an automatic – to me, the NL Central, automatic. It, it's, it's the Cardinals. They look pretty good. Has to be because everyone else has done nothing. The Cubs the have Cubs gotten are worse. scrapping. I, the Pirates are just a lost cause for the next like fifteen years. I love the Pirates. Uh, I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> the Brewers are that fringe team that it's like maybe they could surprise you, but at the same time, they're they depend on how good Yelich is playing. If Yelich is shitting the bed, the team is shitting the bed. Like they don't have the best pitching either. I mean, they got some pretty decent guys. They got Corbin Burns, Adrian Hauser, stuff like that, but nothing too like noteworthy. Nothing that could keep that Cardinals lineup down for 19 games. You know, good point. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like the head-to-head matchups, the Cardinals can pretty much dominate anyone in their division. That's why I feel like I already felt like 90 games would be more than enough to win this division. Now I feel like it's even easier for the Cardinals now. Well, we'll see how many games they end up actually getting to play this season because I know there's a little bit of a discrepancy. Okay. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> there's, that, there's that chemistry. We're getting there. <laughs> yeah, about like how many games they want to play and when they want to start. But, um, yeah, anything more than 60 where, where you know, St. Louis doesn't have to spend a long period of time getting like just, you know, getting that chemistry and like getting it all together. And once they get hot – it, they, there may yeah. be no looking back in, in the NL Central. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah. Um, and also, just to kind of add to your point, I was watching the news before, and they said the new proposal for the season was 154 games. Um, um, you know, spring training starts on time. The season starts a month later. But there's less time in between games, and the season only gets pushed back a week. And so I like believe at, it was rejected. <laughs> yeah, that has to be rejected because the time off thing would be a big thing for me too. These guys are not I don't want to say they're not in game shape because I you know I say that sitting here and probably in the worst like athletic shape of my life, but <laughs> but you get what I mean? Like they played 60 games last year. And if you weren't a playoff team, you were only playing 60 games. And take the Cardinals, for instance, they only played like 56 regular season games. They had four games scrapped because of the coronavirus. So, like, that is that pales in comparison to 162 games, you know? Like, yeah. guys are going to get tired. Guys are going to get injured. You know, I, they need time off. Like, I, I forgot they were, like, the league leader in doubleheaders last year. It was just – Yeah, was them and the Yankees. Thing. The Yankees oh, got God. screwed at the beginning of the year last year, too, because of their opponents having so much issues. Baltimore with the- and uh, Miami. Yeah, so they got screwed with doubleheaders, too. And you need I, – I feel like they should stretch the season out. The season should start on time, 162 games. Stretch it out a little bit. The World Series doesn't have to be – it could be – I liked it at, at, a mutual, at a mutual spot. I enjoyed yeah. that. I like that. So, you know, if you have to do that again this year, because obviously 
<laughs> say it's like, I don't know, what are, what are two cold places? I don't know, like in the MLB or just in general? Yeah, yeah, no, like the MLB. So say it's I don't know the, the I'm really drawing a blank. Oh, say it's the Twins and like the Yank. Oh, those are two AL teams. Oh God, <laughs> we, we, this wasn't planned Mets. out. <laughs> it's the Twins and the Mets, like Minnesota and New York in like November or December. You know what I mean? That's you know it's cold. You also have to take into account the teams that are uh, that that don't play in like a retractable roof stadium now, because all that's all of them. So this is really hard. But yeah, let yeah, let's just say Minnesota, New York, for example. I mean, but it even have, then, would, it would almost have to be in a mutual spot. Yeah, and even then, I think they still have a. There's there's so much flexibility with just. Uh, I mean, we never had like snow baseball, like you know, like legitimate like snow conditioned baseball. I don't yeah, think it would happen. Let's give but, that a crack. But they could even if they couldn't figure it out in terms of location they they can't force this breakneck pace on players that like you said have played of so few games and and then guys who are i mean taxi squads and guys who are coming from the minors who haven't even played in like a year i mean no reps so you gotta you gotta take it easy with that you're 100 percent right think about it it's crazy like these athletes these star athletes haven't played a full season since 2019 and I know that's only like not even two years ago but that's crazy you know like and I'm not talking about like well they played 130 games they played a little more than a third of their uh, like average schedule so it's definitely going to be something interesting to watch this uh, whole proposal thing I once again the MLB is screwing the pooch by waiting till the last minute with this because spring training starts from two two weeks from now this should have been done a long time ago I'm not going to get into that. But. I remember in high school, we used to joke that uh, Mark Teixeira, it took Mark Teixeira two months to heat up in the regular season. Always. Always. So Notorious last year, he started. probably would have hit like 0. .97, 155, a homer if he was lucky. <laughs> it would have been brutal. So it, it, that, that's all I have to say about putting it in comparison to a full, a full year. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're definitely right about that because every Yankee fan knows that Teixeira used to get in April was like a month off. He would hit like 105, <laughs> like three homers, all from the right side, none from the left. It was like, oh, goodness, he's done. And then by the end of the year, he'd have 35 home runs and play gold glove defense at first. So Or Tex. Yeah, oh, Tex Max with the worst hair in baseball, by the way. Um, <laughs> getting... Get, Getting on to like the last point I really wanted to talk about baseball was clearly this weekend, unless you live under a rock, you've noticed that the voting for the MLB Hall of Fame, if that's what you want to call it, um, commenced and no one was elected to the hall. I don't necessarily have that much of a problem with that. It's the way that it's publicized, Chris, that I have a huge problem with it. Oh, and, and what way would that be? Dear Peter, you know, I don't even want to talk about Kurt Schilling yet. Just <laughs> the fact that the Baseball Hall of Fame puts the writers, it, they put the power in the writers' hands. And what it, why I have a problem with that is it's because the writers are now making headlines, not reporting headlines. And that's it. That's not how it should be. This, there's who, who are you? Oh, you wrote for about baseball. You wrote a column in a rinky dink newspaper in Seattle, Washington for 10 years. You deserve a hall of fame vote because you know so much about baseball. No, that is not how it should be. It should never be like that. 
this guy, this guy is so cocky. I don't even remember his name. I don't even remember where he was from, but all I know is he was the first guy to cast his ballot and he had no one on the ballot. His was his first ever hall of fame ballot voting casted. No one made it public, made it public. I don't care. There was, I think they said there were 16 or 17 writers that left their ballot blank. No one uh, else publicized it. 14. 14. There you go. No one else publicized it. It was you, pal. You're the only one. Why are you making headlines with this? That's a disgrace. Well, and listen, I'm, I'm 100% on the personal liberties train. I mean, like if you, if you give somebody the option to vote and you give them the privilege of voting for who's immortalized in our, you know, our American pastime of baseball. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's a big call. I mean, you, you know, there's really nobody who, whoever you put in a position there is going to be able to be scrutinized over who they vote for, don't vote for, if they vote at all. It's a hundred percent up to you to that. I will give the, the writers that is that it doesn't matter who was in that position, whether it's them or someone who we can all, you know, somewhat sit around and say they're more qualified. Like let's say it was yeah. a former player committee or whatever. Well, that's how it, that's how I believe it should be. I should believe, I believe it should be a voted on player committee, like a veterans yeah. committee, like they have now. And that like, could work. I mean, it could, but I, it, I it has to be hall for... of famers. Of course it can't just be like, right. It has to be people that are in the hall of fame that had hall of fame careers. In my opinion, well, the problem I have with that, what you said is right. Like, yes, you know, obviously the writers are more qualified. They've earned the right. You it's know it's not even so much that just that if, whoever you give a ch the option to vote for, you are allowed to vote. However, you know, I mean, if you see nobody on the ballot that you want to vote for, vote for nobody on the ballot. No, that, that's, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm fine with that. That's completely okay. It's yeah. the fact that it's being publicized right. in the it's only sport. Points. It's the only sport that publicizes its hall of fame balloting. You yeah. never see it in the, you don't even know who votes for it in the NFL. Same thing with the NBA, same thing with the NHL. I don't even know where the fucking NHL Hall of Fame is. You know what I'm saying? That's it's how secretive it is. I have no uh, idea where it is. I'm assuming it's in Toronto or Montreal. That would just, you know, whatever. That just seems like a, a good place. But you know what I'm saying? You don't know anything about this. You don't know how these guys get elected to the Hall of Fame in the NFL. It just happens. It's, we don't even question it. In baseball, it's like, oh, oh man. Barry Bonds didn't get in the Hall of Fame. Who's responsible for this? His percentage went up 5% this year. Maybe yeah. he's going to be in in 10 years. Yeah, like, oh, my good golly gosh. Like, uh, who cares? And that's why where I want to bring Kurt Schilling into this because as much as I think Kurt Schilling is an absolute nut job, I think that he nails some of his points on the head. I don't think that calling them, like, brain-dead losers or whatever is, you know, is, is a valid point. They're writers. I'm sure they've been the, called worse. The character clause thing? is ludicrous and i could I, and i could for anyone who says that it's not i could give you three names right now that will cancel your entire argument are you ready ty cobb tris speaker cap anson and i say those because all three of those guys are enshrined in the mlb hall of fame you want to talk about character clause all three of them were in the kkk and that's not that that's not a call to say you know take their plaques down forget they exist no whatever it's absolutely a not point of making that these guys were you know i mean not the forefathers of baseball <laughs> or anything thankfully but you know th their impact 
on baseball as you know it was enough for them to bother but the other two not so much they were both great players the other two but ty cobb is you know ty cobb but he was also a piece of shit human being well but that aside if you earn it on the field and you've been voted in you know put whatever you want after the fact you want to put on his plaque you know kkk i'm not gonna sit here and cry about it it's the guy's history it's part of who he is as people say it's a museum if you want to put a crazed QAnon supporter on Kurt Schilling's plaque and, you know, you dress him up in, in some ridiculous like Nazi outfit on for his plaque, then I mean, go with God. But yeah. he, in terms of stats and in terms of just, you know, who, Pure I mean, baseball I, think ability. Back, I think back to when I first started watching baseball in the bloody sock. Oh, I, I, <laughs> classic. This is something that, I mean, and he probably wasn't even, was he even the best pitcher at the time? I'm, you know, I'm so young to remember it. He then. was, I mean, he was, I don't want to say he was on the downward trend, but he, his best days. I mean, they had Pedro in 04. So, but yeah. coming into the postseason, I mean, I would think, I don't even remember which game he pitched because yeah. it was just so early and when I started watching baseball. Mm-hmm. But right. I remember everyone saying this Kurt Schilling guy is not going to be an easy out for the Yankees. And the Yankees obviously went on to, you know, kind of, shit the bet on that uh that playoff appearance uh well really what i'm what i'm trying to say about what kurt Schilling said is that yeah the character clause to me it's it's ridiculous because you know i know that baseball is a separate entity from everything else but i'm pretty sure there's some guys in the nba hall of fame and the nfl hall of fame that have killed people and are known that have they, they've killed people you know, it's it's a valid point. So I'm not just saying that just to be that guy. I'm saying that it's known. You know, what I'm saying it's documented, and they're in the Hall of Fame. And, and I, I know it's different, like I said. But oh well, it's baseball's pastime. You know, baseball is America's pastime, and you know the um, the etiquette of the game and stuff like that. Like those are just, such. As far as the voting system ugh. goes, I mean, not every class is going to have like headliner hall of famers yeah and just in terms of who you decide to vote for i mean like i said you can vote for whoever you want Derek jeter didn't get a vote when he was when he was picked for the class and that vote was publicized and everyone was like how could you not vote for jeter it's like hey listen he didn't want to vote for jeter i, w- I don't agree with that but he didn't feel like voting for him if I, you didn't I, feel like voting for kurt this year you're allowed to yeah that's that's true but don't blame it on the character clause that's where you lose me it's like yeah. you're, Don't blame you're now it making that. it about I because mean, then you're making it about his political agenda yeah you know what i'm saying you're making it about his personal life and that's what it's not supposed to be about like i remember someone saying like oh todd helton is you know his character clause you know he got arrested a couple times okay big deal a guy had a couple duis is that make him the worst person in the world no Listen, if that's your opinion of it then that's fine. But the fact that it has that much of a sway in terms yeah. of like, because the writers congregate. So it's not like it's one yeah. person who's going to be like heavily swayed by, you know, Todd Helton's DUIs or, or the fact that Kurt Schilling is a little bit, you know, we'll Out say there. outspoken on the political spectrum, but you know, it impacts more than one vote it impacts several votes. It, yeah. You know, it's not just, it's, it, it's a freaking, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's like, a, it's like its I, own clubhouse. I, I'll right? say it's like a domino effect and I'll say why, because, Say that I know that there's a couple guys that have actually been voting on the ballot for like 40 years now. Yeah. Say a young 
you know, a young guy who's on the ballot, maybe this is his first year, or he's only been on a couple of years, talks to this guy, this seasoned veteran, and goes, yeah. what do you think about Schilling? I'm not voting for him. He's a crazy right-wing extremist and stuff like that. And he goes, yeah, yeah you know what? I'm not going to vote for him either. And then it trickles down and the dominoes fall. And the next thing you know, he's off the ballot because he, you know, he lost all his years of eligibility. Because it's publicized, you can't even tell people, yeah, I'm not going to vote for him. Then go do it behind your back anyway. This isn't the the secret Trump voter that (laughs) that everyone was talking about. Everyone knows who you voted for. And to me, another thing is what, what bothers me about these writers having all the power about that is they could not vote for someone and explain why they didn't vote for him in a column the next day. Right there, it's free press for them. You know what I mean? It's That's just a good point. It's it's free for them. Like, let me just do something outlandish because I could I could legitimize it or back it up with my column for the next if I want to talk, say it's like, oh, um, who whoever came out and said, Oh, Derek Jeter's not a Hall of Famer. That person probably made a column for a week straight about why he or she thought that Derek Jeter wasn't a Hall of Famer. You know what I mean? Look it up, but that's slander. You you know what I mean? Like it that's what I'm saying. Like you get you get you just get free work out of it. It, it's it's something for your column. And that's what that's what bothers me too. Think about the system of voting somebody in, in in the MLB Hall of Fame. This is really like the I mean all other points aside, this is the one that gets me the most. You have a 10-year system where every year you vote on, on play, as, as long as they don't fall behind, behold, uh, below the, what is it, 2% threshold or whatever? I think so, yeah. So as long as you stay above that throughout your 10 years, you're pretty much guaranteed to always get a vote on, you know, on your eligibility mm-hmm. while you're eligible. So you have 10 years so that regardless of, class, of the strength or the weaknesses of the class that you're up against, you're always, I mean, you, you can gain some percentage of the vote, you could lose mm-hmm. some percentage of the vote. But either way, if you're within striking distance of the hall, there's always a chance that you might get to a year where, you know, a, a Hall of Fame candidate like Kurt Schilling, who, I mean, we think he has Hall of Fame numbers, but if it was 100% a, a Hall of Famer. If it was a really strong class, could you see him not get like falling short of a few votes? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that a bothers- class like this, though, mm-hmm. after so many years where his he numbers have gone up and gone up. Yeah, he should have been he no doesn't doubt. Get he doesn't get it because of, of you know, because you think he's crazy. It's like, yeah. what does that say about the system? You know what? You know, what's funny, too. Um, the way that I was thinking about it is. So whatever the percentages these new guys got now should be the same percentages for the rest of their eligibility. Correct. Because more or less the way, because the way you see it, say Todd Helton got 30, 55% of the vote. It should never go over 55, right? Because then it's bullshit when he gets over 75 and it was like, well, what changed? What changed? What made him a hall of famer this year instead of the first year he was on the ballot. If he's on the ballot and you think he's a hall of famer, put him in the hall of fame. Sure. But that's where you kind of get to like the, the, you know, I mean, you need 75% to make it. So at 55, I could see it fluctuating enough as the class goes on that you just say, okay, well, he's the best hitter in the class now, or, you know, second best. And you say, let's give him the vote. But, but, the, but that's, that's, sorry to cut you off, but that is where it should not be. If you already thought that he was a hall of famer, right. Ask your vote. It should never be, oh, well, everyone else in this, this sucks. So let's put him in because he's the best one of the rest. That's not how it should be. If you are a Hall of Famer, 
you should be in the Hall of Fame. It shouldn't be, oh, well, this guy was the best of the shitty class that we had this year. So we right. inducted him because of that. Should never be because of that. And that's where I think the, the system is so flawed. At least then it shouldn't be a case where these guys get to stay on the ballot for so long. I mean, you have 10 spot, yeah. you have 10 yeah. votes on a ballot and 10 years of eligibility as long as you stay, you know, respectable on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for the guys who are really low, that number doesn't change a lot, you know? Yeah. 100%. I mean, for some guys, you're obviously a first ballot. It's very rare that somebody who's like, you know, either first or second year doesn't get it in their first. I mean, like if you're a first year and you don't get it, but everyone thought you were first ballot, maybe your class was just strong. Yeah. Very unlikely you don't get it the next year, I would say. I mean, I, I haven't seen that many of players that we grew up watching get enshrined yet, but I imagine mm-hmm. that's the case. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. This is something I wanted to ask you about. Now, guys who have, we'll put Kurt Schilling away. We'll put him back in his band box in his basement for a while. <laughs> um, guys that have basically no eligibility left one year or maybe two guys like Bonds, Clemens, Sosa. Yeah. What is, what is your take on that? I'm, I'm curious because I don't really think I've asked you this. What do you think about those guys being in the hall of fame? Potentially. I mean, I used to imagine myself like, and this may be just because of how many things like the columns that you're talking about with the writers, talking about why they wouldn't vote Bonds, why they wouldn't vote Clemens, why they wouldn't vote Sosa, et cetera. I used to think like, yeah, that makes sense. And that kind of gave me like this baseball purist mentality in terms of allowing guys to even be on the ballot who were like just notorious performance enhancing drug users. Mm -hmm. But for some of these guys, if you just consider their era and you consider just how far we've come in terms of medicine and training regiments and just, I mean, some of these guys I do like, I remember the whole thing with Clemens. It was like a very popular court case yeah. and everything, whatever mm. he got. The Mitchell for. report. Right. But even when he went to court over, I don't remember what, if it was like he was recovering damages about something, something involving PED use. Right. But that he claimed it was something he was taking under a doctor's recommendation because of injuries. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of these guys, you know, we don't, we can't really say because, you know, we don't really know medicine and stuff, I guess, <laughs> but what the goal of the performance enhancing drug was, whether it was to give them a quicker recovery or extend their career a little bit. Right. That's the argument you can make for saying, well, maybe you can give these guys a pass. And I was adamant that Clemens, Sosa, Bonds, no chance, no vote for Mm -hmm. me if I had that vote. But if you take that into consideration with the fact that we don't know on a level playing field that these guys might have just starched their competition anyway. Mm -hmm. And that we just, I mean, in terms of how far, maybe one bad injury would have been enough for Clemens to hang it up 10 years early. We Mm -hmm. don't know. So that gives me enough arguments to say they could get a vote to get in as there are arguments to say they have no chance of getting in, which is a lot further than I was. I mean, years ago it was like, no chance use drug, use performance enhancing drugs, no chance. But now at least in terms, I'm it's debatable in terms of what they actually did for other people's careers. You know, you ruin other people's careers, all that talk or, right. or just, you know, no, I'm, I, I took, 
a little bit of like a different spin on it only because I think, see, we, we essentially, because of all the reports and everything like that, we know the basic timeline when these guys started taking steroids. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, well, from we, do and based, we don't, but based on the report, well, <laughs> if, if they're going to, if they're going to base everything off the report that they took steroids, you have to base it on the report when they took, when they started taking steroids. And for a lot of guys that is, that's a smoking gun for a lot of guys. Yeah. It's not like we got them with the needle in the back. So, yeah. So I think for guys right away, guys that don't have my vote, Canseco, Maguire, Sosa, guys like that don't have my vote. I know, <laughs> hey, I know. Rod. But A-Rod has my vote, and I'll tell you why. So same thing with David Ortiz. I look at these guys' careers before they allegedly started using steroids. So right away, you look at Barry Bonds' career. It was essentially what, what we know from the reports is that he started taking steroids in 1998. If you look at his career from 1986 to 1998, Hall of Fame trajectory. Right there, boom, eight-time Gold Glove Award winner, countless all-star appearances, already had 300-plus home runs. You're a Hall of Famer in my eyes. Right there. You should be – if you're on that trajectory and then say you cut his whole entire steroid era, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Same thing with Clemens, especially since Clemens was more of a recovery type of thing right. where it was like, okay, like, yeah, he was recovering faster than regular pitchers because he was taking these – performance in hands that wasn't making him throw the ball 127 miles per hour you know what i'm saying where he was blowing guys away i think that clement should be in the hall of fame as well um i think the same thing for a rod and david Ortiz. i mean david ortiz granted like the latter half of his career he had the most success but he was really one of the lower the lower names on that list on that mitchell report like he wasn't the star name or he wasn't the guy that was like yes he took the most amount of steroids um a rod you know a rod too because I feel like A-Rod is in a similar Kurt Schilling situation where he is just nationwide hated by all these writers. So he'll never get in based off of that, based off of their personal vendettas with him that he won't, they, they, he won't get in. But if you look at his numbers from when, before he started taking steroids, incredible talent, incredible talent before he started taking steroids. I think it should be based off of a tra- trajectory t- kind of thing where like if you were on the path and then you started taking steroids, I think you should be allowed in. And to boot on top of that, people might not agree with that. That's just the way I think. I think that, listen, Clemens was an amazing player for such a long time. Bonds is the home run king. They need to be in the Hall of Fame. If they're already represented in the Hall of Fame with a piece of their you know, it, what a, a bat, a glove, whatever, their name is in there already. Put them in the Hall of Fame because there's a, a lot of guys that socially and maybe even on the field have done worse things. And you know what, though? The only, the only downside maybe to that is then you have to let everyone in. So you go all the way back to 1919 with the Black Sox scandal. you got to let Shoeless Joe Jackson into the Hall of Fame. You go to Pete Rose. But first off, Pete Rose not being in the Hall of Fame, one of the most ridiculous things. Ever. And that's where really my hatred of the Baseball Hall of Fame started, where Pete Rose essentially didn't cheat in his baseball career, basically. He was he had a gambling addiction. And he's not in the Hall of Fame because of that utterly ridiculous. 
So that's where I think that the Baseball Hall of Fame, it's already shitty to the point where, like, they hold their brown nose up to everyone. It was like, we're the Baseball Hall of Fame. We're better than everyone else. You know what I mean? And it's really filled with people that really aren't that spectacular. So I think let them my, – my case would be you let Joe Jackson in, Pete Rose, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, A-Rod, David Ortiz, and that's it for the steroid users. Well – they it and it's a good point. I mean, they earned it based on their baseball merits, right? Mm-hmm. That's really you earned it on the field. Let them in. I guess the problem with viewing it from trajectory is that you let you open it to interpretation from the same people that oh yeah really trust with that vote in the first place. So it begs the question: Is it really a steroid thing? Is it a personal bias thing? Is it just you know a stain on the game or whatever? All we build it up to be. I mean, I really don't know. I do know that in terms of their on the field success and the merits that guys like you said Bonds and Clemens and I mean even if you want to throw Pete Rose who's not PED, yeah. But I just. I feel there's like if so you let many, those guys into the Hall of Fame, you have to let Pete Rose into the Hall of well, Fame. Well, there's so many arguments for letting these guys into the Hall of Fame that you would need something so damning, you know, to say that they shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. And for what some what what performance enhancing drugs do to the game or did more when they were, you know, when everyone was doing it, mm-hmm. the game of baseball. I mean, for some guys, they just let them stay in the league longer than they should have been. Uh, and we know that. And then yeah. there's guys who were already all stars and Hall of Fame potential, who then used it, you know, always going back to Clemens and Bonds, but they were more or less sure Hall of Famers even without being on the report. We don't know what they did beforehand, or what, it's just up to the report and what we know they might have started using. Yeah. And but, you, but you nailed it on the head right when you said. It's all open for interpretation. So essentially, you're never going to get anywhere with any of this. It's all just hearsay. It's all hindsight being 2020. You know, we have all, you know, we we have all the stats for and we have all the stats against. And it's going to be a constant stalemate for the rest of time unless unless the voting changes. If you can say that somebody's earned it on the field, you need something that's so damning that they've done on the field. Yeah or to the game of baseball that you can say they don't deserve to get in. Does Pete Rose gambling on, on baseball games, is that a bad look for, for, for baseball in general? Does it look bad, you know, compared to his legacy in baseball? Sure. It does. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the all-time hit leader. I mean, he would have to have thrown games for like 20 years yeah. <laughs> to, to actually like equate to that. I mean, bonds eight, would you say eight time gold gloves, multi-year uh, all-star and 300 home runs. So, mm-hmm. okay. More than half, of the home runs that he hit came with PEDs, but was he a hall of famer before that? Yeah. Probably. Home runs isn't everything about, about hall of famers. Exactly. I mean, now home runs now are everything in baseball, yeah. but back yeah. then he was probably on the path already. Clemens yeah. was a fantastic. Clemens pitcher. was fantastic for years and years. So, and this isn't me saying that they should get in because you know what? I think maybe the ship has sailed nine years in Yeah, 60% of the so vote that needs 75%. You're not, you're talking about a lot of votes and not a lot of support, mm-hmm. but at the very least in terms of saying, Oh, well, they're a black eye for baseball or, you know, they've stained, you know, their reputations. 
we can really i mean now everybody's that was a, a classic fucking, eye roll by the way because no one can see that but well i mean think about what players are doing these days like we talk about we go crazy in the media about like things like cinder guards training regimens and stuff i mean these guys are like world class athletes now so arbitrary back then who knows what the training regiments were like you probably got hurt and it was like well listen it's a sore wrist you probably have another 10 years to go at best anyway like we're bouncing back from reconstructive knee surgeries and acls and you can't even compare it back then it was you know put a needle in your arm and and try to keep going a lot of cortisone back then yeah, and if a cortisone shot got mistaken for something that might, you know, help you earn a next contract and, you know, support your family, who am I to say that, you know, I wouldn't be in a position to make that choice? Yep. I would like to think, because I love the game so much, that I would be one of the true people who said, listen, if this is it and my career crumbles or, or you know, I, I end up just falling out of the league because I'm terrible or whatever, then I just let it ride, whatever, whatever it is. I don't go and cheat the game. Because that is what it is. I mean, this is not an argument to say that I don't think they cheated the game, but one hundred percent they cheated the game. Did they do? Do they have the merits? Did they earn it without cheating the game beforehand? Uh, arguments it's like there you to said, be made. dude. Dude, I, we're making so many good cases for you know them to be in, but they hold the holy grail of cases against, and it's literally yeah. just one word: it's steroids. Yep. That's literally it. And it's just, it's a mountain to climb. And I feel, I honestly, genuinely, you know, you could say what you will about the type of person that Barry Bonds is, the type of person A-Rod and Roger Clemens are, but I genuinely feel bad for them because their merits and their accolades and what they accomplish in the game will never accumulate to a Hall of Fame enshrinement. And I feel bad because those are careers that deserve it. And that that's where it's like, damn, like, Say a kid 25 years ago, I'm 25 years from now, excuse me, never heard of like Barry Bonds or something, goes to the Hall of Fame. Crazy, right? He'll never know who, you know what I mean? Like he won't know half of the players that we know now that were so good that didn't make it. Like that's what bothers me. And it's like. It makes sense for the precedent going forward of like, mm -hmm. I mean, we're huge Robbie Cano fans, you know, one of our favorite second basemen growing up, if not our favorite for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Caught using peds twice now in an era where now it's not just tested and you know really shamed against it's not like everyone's doing it that we know of but he's gotten popped twice now with a legitimate hall of fame career in terms of numbers and yep. i think right away you texted and said like that's well i guess that's him. it for that yep that's it and i don't know if that's in terms of just you know a writer's perspective or if he really just legitimately cost himself that just because we don't know how much of an impact yeah. it's had on his career but at least where we're, you're not putting in Clemens and Bonds, you can say, and this is the, the counter argument and one of the many that you can make for it is that what does it say about those type of players who've just dominated the league since the offset, really, since they got in and are multi-time abusers? I mean, I love Robinson Cano, but what are you going to, I mean, if a guy like Bonds gets in, then you yeah. say, well, not Cano because he got caught twice. It's like, Bonds probably got caught like 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you know what makes it so damning though? I, I, I feel like, or not, I'm sorry, less damning for guys like Cano and guys that get caught PEDs now. The spectrum of, of what, like the umbrella of what the MLB considers a PED nowadays 
is a oh, yeah. hundred times wider than it was back then. Back then it was HGH. like, yeah, back then <laughs> if it literally wasn't HGH or like freaking horny goat weed or something like that, that was getting injected into your ass. They were like, okay, have a nice day. Now it's like you have the wrong energy drink. And then next thing you know, you're suspended for 81 games, yeah. you know? So like, it, I think, golden Tate <laughs> football, but yeah, I, I think, I think that it, it yearns more of a slap on the wrist. For guys like Cano, now see the only problem with Cano is now this is his second offense. Yeah. So if he, if he, God forbid, gets caught, caught again, he's banned for life, and that means banned from the Hall of Fame as well. So uh, if he's hope, not already, yeah, if he's not banished from the Hall of Fame. But like I said, I think what makes the case so much softer for Cano is because the spectrum of PEDs is so much bigger than it was back then. But really, we could we can go on and on about this all night because it's just there's so many things like to there's so many unturned stones about this and so many different ways you could look about it. I think what we, we said our piece, I think you did a great job. I think I did a great job as well. It's all up for interpretation, as you said, and you literally summed up the entire conversation with just that where it's all up for interpretation because we could think one way, the writers think one way, whoever listening is can think another way. So it's whoever's no... listening is probably like, oh, shut up and move on. Yeah. So that's why I was trying to move it on there. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it. I know. I, but, I'm new to I'm new to this industry, but I see what's going on here. Yeah. Sometimes when, when Matthew was on, there would just be some times where I was just like, all right, well, that's that. So let's move on to something else. <laughs> like, and he would be still in the middle of his thought. So like by the very... way, we haven't talked about the Jets yet. We're not going to talk about the Jets. Damn it, we almost went a whole episode without mentioning the J-E-T-S. But, okay, I guess, well, I have to say, I love the Jets. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. And I love Robert Sala. And it was actually his birthday today, by the way. But um, Oh, happy birthday, Robert Sala. Happy birthday, Vin Diesel lookalike. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, we have one more topic here that we just as, as fans purely want to talk about this. And I know Chris is excited to talk about this one. I'm not excited to talk about this. <laughs> That's why I said it. But um, for everyone who is a hockey fan and everyone who likes the Rangers here in New York, you know this by now that the Rangers placed defenseman Tony D'Angelo on waivers after apparently fighting with goaltender Alexander Georgiev in the locker room after their 5-4 loss to the Pittsburgh Penguins on Saturday in overtime. Also a loss where Tony D'Angelo was on the ice for four of the five goals given up. Uh, caveats aside, the, how many times – I mean, that's – all right, whatever. You already, you already build it, so we'll go with that. Yeah, he was on the ice four out of five goals. I just thought it was, it was noteworthy enough to mention. That's where the um, – I'm saying it from the perspective that that's probably where the fight could have sprung from. Well, there was the miscommunication behind the net we talked about earlier. I mean, right. not, why don't you enlighten the fans? Well, okay. So the three-on-three overtime period in hockey, everyone loves it. If you don't love it, you're I not mean, a fan of. You're not a fan if you don't love it. I wouldn't say you're not a fan, but it's just it picks up the pace so much. You it's you can't sit there and block shots for twenty minutes and just keep kicking the puck out. You know, you you get so much more space on the ice to pass the puck around. It's great. Um, but you know, you usually skate with two defensemen through forwards and in three on three you kind of have a choice here about whether you want to go usually it's you know two forwards sometimes three forwards and or two forwards and a defenseman or three forwards anyway d'angelo ended up on the ice uh in a shift where the rangers could not get off the ice uh the puck was kept in the defensive zone for the entire entirety of of a panarin shift and i think they barely got d'angelo on but everyone was tired uh 
Georgiev had a great chance to clear the puck, and I think D'Angelo reached for it at the same time, deflected behind the net, stayed in the zone. Um, that was the beginning of the end. Yeah, I mean, the way they were playing defense after that, they were standing still. So uh, <laughs> and the Flyers made like three changes or four. I think they cycled all their lines. <laughs> so... Um. One thing I wanted to say about the goal itself, like, I mean, it, we all knew, I'm sure you knew, we weren't even talking while we were watching the game, but like, I'm sure you yeah. knew, and I knew too, that, you know, once they couldn't get the puck out of the zone, they were skating around, even after like one, plus one minute, I was like, yeah, like this, they're going to score because they can't, they can't move out there. They're essentially just pendulums yeah. uh, on skates. But one thing that I've noticed, and it was very prevalent yesterday was Georgiev is a good goalie, but he gets beat five hole way too much. Well, and that, I mean, listen, I guess that does happen. I, I don't yeah, know what it's it like. Was, to it was cool on display quite a lot yesterday. But, I mean, uh, Hank, as much as I love well, Henrik Well, I mean, Lundquist, that was the five-hole king right there. Yeah, I mean, he would, he would sometimes have stretches where it was like, you know, maybe just the place where, where it doesn't go right between your legs would be nice. But, you know, <laughs> you know he would stand on his head for everything else, but. I actually have an interesting anecdote here that I'm looking at right now from um, David Shapiro from the Blue Sea Blogs. It was a tweet, and it says, um, this furthers my Chris Kreider rumor as well. It says, here's what we know. Tony D'Angelo started a fight with Alexander Georgiev after last night's loss. Here's what we think we know. Uh, A miscommunication between the two led to the overtime winner, like you said. Here's what we think we know. Yeah. Chris Kreider, it is rumored, stepped in and punched D'Angelo in the face. Now, I will say I do have some evidence. I can't show you guys, but there was a video of Chris Kreider in the post-game press conference hiding his hands the entire time. And when he went up to scratch his eyeball, um, someone zoomed in. Someone took a picture and zoomed in on his hand, and there appeared to be some bruising on his right hand as well. So, I mean – Listen, if, if you're going to pick Kreider a wasn't a on the cap Rangers, casualty, then I guess he would be cut, right? Yeah. Or no, it doesn't work that way, I guess. Listen, listen. You out of all the players that are on that are on the Rangers, why would you why, why would you want to pick a fight with Chris Kreider? Why would you want Chris Kreider to physically st- like he is the last person on the Rangers. I would I would rather fight with Jack Johnson or Andre Miller, like like who are massively taller than me. And well, like, I mean, so is Chris Kreider, but like, he's just a brute strength guy. Like it's rumored that the argument was initially between Georgiev and D'Angelo, which listen, you never want to go and, and it, it, there was a miscommunication. Somebody's got to own it, but you don't go and you give shit to the goalie that Jason don't just mess gave with up five goalie. goals. Never with the goalie, especially after a really tough loss. I mean, like you said, getting beat five hole a lot, five zero overtime loser. I'm sure he it's didn't want lot. to hear it from Tony D'Angelo. Yeah, I mean, like, oh, well, it was my puck or something. I mean, who even knows what it could have been? I would think this is more like a, the straw that broke the camel's back, if anything, though, because it was obvious in D'Angelo's demeanor for the last two or three games, but especially last night. He's on the ice, and I know he's, he's adjusting to playing on, uh, on the left side. He's a right-hand defenseman. And uh, he used to play last year predominantly on a line with Mark Stahl, who's not on the Rangers anymore. Thank God. He's been trying to play with Truba and trying to play with uh, Adam Fox. And, you know, it's tough when you're playing on the left side and you're right-handed and you're used to playing uh, right-handed. That's his natural – I mean, that's how he shoots. But 
he was so lost and in the wrong place so often last. There was a point he literally skated right through Panarin's shooting window just to get back to the blue line. And I was like, what do you do? I mean, and he didn't look like he cared. It's not like he hustled back to the line. He just kind of lazily walked through. You know, I mean, he would have blocked the shot if Panarin let it rip. <laughs> but he just – I would think something's been brewing for a while. It goes back to David Quinn's comments about how he's immature. He got benched for the two games already to start the year. And then there's the social media crap. Yeah, well, <laughs> one thing I will say, like looking at it as like an organization perspective, and you touched on it before, Rangers have no idea how to handle players. None. Like, and not only that, this also, I, I, I've been thinking this for a while now and I haven't even really said it, but like, I don't believe in David Quinn at all as a head coach. Like, I just don't. Like, I believe that he looks the part for New York. But in reality, I haven't seen really any improvement from this team since he took over. And I know it's a rebuilding and, you know, they've got to get gelled and oh, no. anything like that. Forget rebuilding. I don't, see, I don't see any improvement in this team at all, especially from the defensive side. That's what we need. That's what, like, we – that is essentially what we need. Like, the Rangers have – Chris, how long have you been watching Ranger games? I mean, as long as I've been watching Yankees, if not longer. Yeah. So I think I, I started really actually paying attention in like 2005. Okay. Since 2005, I have not seen the Rangers put a good six-man defense on the ice. There was the, the cup year. was they, they were pretty good defensively, but it was like – I think you've made that the point Torch to me before. It was Torts' get down and, and eat the puck uh, – yeah, that's, that's why half of the guys that were on that team can't play in the NHL anymore because they, yeah. they're all bruised and battered from all the shots they took. Destroyed but, that's, but like, see, shots. that's what you need, though. You need a defensive-minded coach that's like, listen, you've got to give up your teeth to block yeah. that puck. That's why I, I, I know you're not a huge Brendan Lemieux fan, but I think he's such a – I mean, I know he's not the greatest example of a two-way defense, like in terms of defense of a two-way forward, but my God, does he play like a two-way forward. Yeah. No, he does. Offense, you're, you're defense. Right about that. See, defensively, I like him more. He's a little clumsy on the offensive side, but that's okay. But um, that's all right. Well, sometimes his defense is just throwing a stick wildly at the puck and getting called. For hey, it works. Or something. Okay. It works. <laughs> it works, and he's in the penalty box. But, but I, you know, I really and I liked the way that the Rangers went with the hire at first with with Quinn. You know, young, yeah. handsome, dresses well, nice. Fits the no. Well, I'm trying to say he fits the New York build. You know, he's not like uh, let's let's be honest. Like Barry Trotz. Yeah, I was just gonna. Oh man, <laughs> see, this is the chemistry coming out. Like, bring us the egghead. Barry Barry Trotz looks like the Hamburglar. I mean, but but he he could win you a Stanley Cup. You know what I'm saying? Like, he took that ragtag Islander squad to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. So and the Flyers look good under under our boy Av. Yeah, and even um. Well, I know Lindy Ruff wasn't wasn't a, a head a head coach, but he was an assistant yeah. coach with the Rangers for a while. And the Devils look like they, they're playing really well. So really, I I think it's a swing and a miss with David Quinn. I think that he honestly has until the end of this season to prove something to the Rangers brass. And every everyone in the Rangers organization should thank the good Lord that Jim um, that that Dolan is not as like into it as he is with the Knicks. Cause yeah, it's Lord. more Glenn Stather and, and, and Gordon for us, but yeah. Uh, and, and John Davidson too. But um, 
That's why I think as well when like John Davidson, like, you know, he's, he's the president of the you know, hockey operations or whatever. Like, I think that he'll have more of a say in the head coach if they do get rid of um, Quinn. And I, I, JD just knows his hockey, man. JD, yeah. like anywhere, anywhere he's been as an executive, anything, he just knows his well, hockey. And we I, would hope then, you know, that this situation with Quinn gets resolved quickly because I was on the, I was on the, let's give him the benefit of the doubt train to start the year, but uh, you don't see, they're the laughing stock of the, the, they're the laughing stock of the East. I mean, they have, they have one of the best wingers in the game, just wasting away. This is, it's a four year deal, right? So we're now in year two. Which one for who? For For Panarin. Panarin. No, it's like, it's like a seven year deal. I thought it was four. No, it's seven. Oh, okay. So we're in, but either that, you know, you're wasting uh, Zabanajad as well. You know, well Zabanajad is on four. I, I listen, think Zabanajad. The contracts, all I know is that we've been in cap hell for the last three years. Or and four we're going to continue to be in cap hell for a while. Well, I mean, think about the implications of, of this, of this releasing of, of Tony D'Angelo. That's five million I mean, off the book right there. Yeah. I mean, if somebody picks him up, that would be, you know, they would eat the contract, but if they don't forget it, it's, we, we bought out Lundqvist because we didn't want his money to count against the cap so that we can release a, a top four defenseman who's going to count four and a half against the cap for this year. <laughs> you can't make it make sense. But the, the point with Quinn is that the Rangers are the laughing stock of the NHL right now. They They have too many good players to be 28th in the league. I mean, Granted, there's some teams that haven't even played more than five games because of COVID. Or I think the Blackhawks got back on the ice tonight. But they need to be better than – I mean, the East is, is – it wasn't going to be a cakewalk. We knew when we saw divisions that we were going to have to play Boston a lot. I, or No, excuse me. Yeah, Boston, uh, Pittsburgh, Buffalo I didn't think was going to be a challenge. But if you play them enough times, I mean, they see if you're, if you're actually showing up to play. And, and the Rangers, they, they look like crap this year. Uh, also, don't forget that 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 Buffalo team has Taylor Hall now as well. They they have Taylor Hall, but but the, the thing with hockey is that to me it's never been about one player. I I mean I do well, say we can one name, player. We can name all the players that they have then. And I no, I get that, but it's like, I mean, they were like you did the on the last show. You you talked about Pierre Luc Dubois and Patrick Laine. Um, these are guys who are coming from good teams. Or, well, they're better than the Rangers right now. That's for damn yeah. sure. I mean, uh, but they they were able to just so effort, effortlessly swap those two guys. And, I mean, it was funny. I don't remember they were two and three in that draft class. Mm-hmm. But they were able to just swap them out because the teams themselves, it's like they're built to run, you know, with the guys around them, regardless of who your superstar is. I mean, they played well with Pierre-Luc Dubois playing, uh, sitting on the bench. Yeah, and they actually played. I think they lost tonight, but or last night, but you don't get up to the Western Conference games as much as you do for the East. But <laughs> um, this team is, is way too good to be dead last in the East or in their division of the East, and too good to. I mean, they look clueless on the ice. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit upsetting, especially since like, you know, the the expanded playoffs gave us hope of a more contending team for this year. And essentially they didn't really, they didn't really lose too much in the off season. They didn't really gain that much either, but you know, they didn't lose too much. I think losing Jesper Fast was pretty big though. I think that's, that's a big hole on the third line or something like that, that, you know, that they haven't been able to fill 
since then, you know, you got guys that have played pr- pretty well. Uh, what, Go what, is his name Gautier? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Like Go- I, I call, I think I call him Gautier. I, I forget what. Yeah, I, I haven't yeah, even seen him on yeah, the ice actually. Yeah, no, he hasn't been on the ice in a while. Gautier, um, Blackwell. You know what I'm saying? Guys like that Rudy's that have filled been in. Okay for stretches and you know scary for other stretches. Yeah, that's what I'm well. saying. You know, you got guys that could fill in nicely for a couple games, but that hole was big. Foss was was a was a great player for the Rangers that I feel like a lot of people don't really realize was as good as he was. And yeah. myself included, that I was like, oh God. And like every time I see that line come on, I'm like, where's Jesper? Yeah. <laughs> like, dear God. <laughs> but And the last the last guy we had left from the cup team, I think, too. Yeah. That's that's a kick in the nuts right there, isn't that? But I, you know, overall, the Rangers need to do something, and they need to do something pretty fast because it's a 56 game season. It's not 82, and it's already half you know, over. It, it seems like it's almost half over already. Yeah. But um, um, go ahead, my good sir. Sorry the um the thing with. With D'Angelo, I mean, the, the amount of implications about D'Angelo's trade, even non-contractually, is like, so we like Fox, we like Truba, we like our right-handed defensemen, uh, lefties, you have uh, Keandre Miller's left-handed, Lindgren's left-handed, Smith is left-handed, none of those guys are going to play with D'Angelo anyway. Um, I just don't, I mean, you're not going to put a rookie with Tony D'Angelo. He's too offensive minded and you're going to leave Keandre Miller on stuck on defense by himself. I mean, the, the numbers will change quick if, if that were the case. And uh, I don't know, but there was, D'Angelo was one of those big trades they made back when we were really, really rebuilding. And uh, I, I didn't I know, think much of it either. I know. And, but he was also, it was like, I remember that first year that he was getting prominent playing time uh, with Neil Pionk and it was like, Oh, first, that's a name. <laughs> well, through the first half of the season, it looked like Pionk was going to be the guy that they, that they extended. And then D'Angelo just caught fire at the, at, during 2019, they're beginning of 2019. Yeah. And it was like, I, I mean, for him to now be like, I mean, now Pionk's gone, and now what? You you gave up on D'Angelo, and it's like people are saying, "Well, we have plenty of depth on defense." It's like, no, no, we, we don't. We have plenty of talent on defense, but the talent right now has been playing like garbage. Like, like I said before, it's all fun and games until you realize that Jack Johnson is going to be playing every single game now. Yeah, and Lindgren got twenty, I think twenty-one or twenty-two minutes last night as well. I mean, listen, yeah. you can th- you can give it up to D'Angelo as much as you want. If you don't like him, a lot of people didn't like him. But to be cheering on this move, like they like, oh well, he's a locker room cancer, and oh well, he's a right wing, you know, like he likes Trump and stuff. It's like I don't care. I mean, listen, for for one, whatever you do on social media, expect to get it back in your face. You can't yeah. have thin skin about it. And for that, I'm disappointed that it even got to this point with D'Angelo in in terms of like he got upset about it or or whatever. He's you know, people don't like him because of it. You got to move on. You know, it's not a popular opinion in a lot of circles. You can't, you can't let it get to you. And I don't think it really did. But the fact that people think this is a good move because of those types of things, forget like we were talking about earlier, that he was the fourth leading scorer in terms of defenseman last year. The offense looked great with him because he just, he's so good at passing the puck. And this year he was playing out of position. He admitted it, uh, whenever training camp was because it's already like the end of the month. And at the beginning of the month, we were still talking about line arrangements and stuff. Yeah. Who's going to make the team. And he admitted, you know, I I haven't played on the left side a lot. It's going to be interesting. I enjoyed playing with Mike, with Mark Stahl. And now I'm going to be trying to play with Truba, but you know, it was going to take some time. And uh, 
we knew the talent was there. We knew the ability was there. We knew Mark Stahl <laughs> was, uh, was kind of, uh, I mean, we hate he to was, see him go, was there. but we love to watch him. <laughs> he was there. <laughs> I mean, it couldn't, it, it, it was, it was something they really couldn't mess up and somehow they made a complete hash of it. And it's in terms of dealing with players, you have the Elias, An- the Elias Anderson, Leas Anderson, however you want to say it. He's gone now. It's okay. That situation in years past, did he handle it poorly from a player's perspective? Probably. I'm not an NHL player. I don't know. But organizationally, you had a top six player who's sitting in the AHL or, or at the back end of the bench, you know, as a healthy scratch or six-minute mm-hmm. rotational player on the fourth line. I mean, that's not how you handle talent. Well, and- I, I agree with you there, and I, I'll even further you one, too. What? Vitaly Kraskov. When are we ever oh, going to see him? Well, maybe, maybe when the Rangers are finally back to rebuilding and they decide to call him back. They, they I mean, I mean, back. how many seasons can the guy play in the KHL? Apparently, not enough. And apparently, it's up to him. What I, which right away, terrible decision. Why would you leave well, it up to the player? And when is he? Yeah, when is he going to come into this? When would you come? When, when would he? Yeah, why would he come into this now? Is is another reason why I'm saying like. Everyone forgets that's, about Kraskov. That's not even talking about COVID. That's just the state of the team. Why just, would you come yeah, into this why would now? Come into this? And not only that, he really hasn't developed to where they want him to develop. And it's like, well, guy, you know, you were drafted like five years ago already. Like, you know, <laughs> you got to start developing at some point, you know. And, and it, as much as I wanted to say the Rangers don't know how to draft, like this season so far, and maybe even last season with like Heedel, like, you know, he, he's, he's looked like a, a very decent player. Uh, Kako is playing a lot better this year so far. So, like, the hope is there, you know what I'm saying? But in terms of, like, it was a gray area for the, for yeah. the Rangers drafting where it was like, ooh, fa. If they didn't make any, if they didn't make any moves in free agency, they weren't getting any product, production from their young guys. Well, I mean, now that, now that it's been better moves in free agency and better years of drafting, you know, we're not sitting here making deals for Eric Stahl and Keith Yandel anymore. You expect – the team to be headed in a better direction. I mean, this is like, this is embarrassing, you know? <laughs> I forgot about that Keithy Endel deal. <laughs> oh my God. I, w- I went to the garden back when, like his, his last couple months there. And it was like, he just, he's basically the Jack Johnson now, like what Ugh. Jack Johnson is right now. It's like the team could be winning and he's on the ice when they give up a goal. It's like, boo, get lost, get out of New York. <laughs> he could have been completely out of the play. And then yeah. like, ah, it's all your fault. I mean, somebody else turns over the puck and it's like that damn Jack Johnson. Yeah, well, the Rangers fans need a scapegoat. Every season we need some kind of scapegoat. Well, so right I guess now Jack it's D'Angelo and Jack Johnson, but D'Angelo's gone. So, I mean, when sorry, the team Jack. is still crap in a month, I mean. Sorry, Jack. I hope that $2 million was worth it. Uh, well, he's making the most of it, right? He's stretching it pretty far. He actually wasn't playing that bad. A lot of guys haven't played bad for, except for like a couple of games like here and there. I mean, I was very critical. I'm always very critical about Brendan Smith. And then he had that game and in, in when they, uh, when they blanked the Islanders, take that yeah. fish sticks. Um, <laughs> he played great. And yeah, then proceeded to show me why you don't praise Brendan Smith for more than like 10 minutes at a time, because then he got like 18 minutes of ice time and was like a minus two. I think one of the following, I forget which game it was afterwards. I think it was one of the Buffalo games. He just, I mean, looked lost again. And they started giving more ice time to Keandre Miller. Look, he played great last night, but he's a rookie. And 
if he if, if is, expecting this mistakes. to continue for the rest of the season, putting all that on a rookie, just giving him like twenty minutes of ice time. I mean, maybe he's at that point. I would love if he was at that point, but then signing that means that signing you misevaluated him because signing D'Angelo to a two-year nine million deal four months ago. Looks you obviously really didn't expect now, yeah. out of Miller, so it, it's not like you have a, a wealth of talent there. You could have, if that was the case, and you just got like caught off guard by Miller, and you want to slot him into D'Angelo's spot, which I mean, in terms of just bet right now, it's the best bet. But it's, I mean, in a course of six games, it's just so quick. But or at least since he started playing more time and and getting some penalty shift minutes, but then. You should at least why not trade Dean? I mean, you you think you're sending a message by cutting him? Yeah, you're sending a message that you're not going to be able to sign people who are eating who's going to. I mean, he's eating their salary for right. Well, <laughs> now, I mean, getting having this story leak out like the way that it did. Yeah, you're not going to get anything for for Tony D'Angelo now. You you screwed your you can't you screwed welcome the him back to the team. Can't welcome him back to the team. What are you going to say? You're not going to get we'll anything for minutes him for us now. We need you. In a, in a place where maybe if if this story leaked after he was traded, you could have gotten a, a very reliable third or fourth winger maybe for him, or a center even maybe more. Maybe more. That's what I'm saying. The fourth highest fourth highest defensive you know scoring defenseman in the league is where guys like Eric, Eric Carlson, Brett Burns. You know what I mean? And guys, four and a half like million that. dollars a season. I mean, just, you don't just give that to any defenseman. I mean, Kreid's is, is six million a year, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking uh, hockey salaries aren't you know notoriously very big anyway, unless you're a superstar. I don't think who does anyone have a hundred million dollar contract? Um, the only person that has a hundred million dollar contract was was McDavid and that was exactly $100 million and he makes $13.2 million a season. Not that's the highest. A, definitely not even uh what's that's uh, so essentially it's not even a bench, not, not even a bench salary in the N- NBA is the highest yeah. paid player in the NHL. So D'Angelo, they didn't give him that money and an and extra, you know, it wasn't a one year, it wasn't a qualifying offer. They extended it, but I don't think that this isn't a qualifying offer that he signed. No. So this isn't, uh, oh, we were looking to get rid of him for a while now. This is, we pictured him into the future of the team, and now he's gone. Or at least we think he's gone, but. This yeah, is, no, there's no coming There's no coming back from this, Chris. He's, he's, there's no cheering this either. This is not a good look for the Rangers. This is not a plus for the Rangers. They did not improve with this move, even if he was, you know, playing like crap on the, like the last couple of games. But yep. It's also because we also know what he's capable of, and that's yeah. where we're like, oh, like you missed that. Like, essentially, he was a second power play captain as well, like, when he was on the ice. You know what I mean? Like, in power plays and stuff like that. Like, he, he's just, like you said before, he's so good at passing the puck. Yeah. And, you know, it. Yeah. And Foxy seems to, I mean, I, I know that you don't, it's not like just because they play together, they get better just from playing with each other. But Fox is, has become a really good passer of the puck, too. And I, I love I that wouldn't, Fox. I, I, he's so good, <laughs> but I mean, it's not a stretch to think that they got to work on it, you know, at some, somehow together or that somehow D'Angelo's style of play is rubbed off on Fox because he went from looking like a, not that he looked bad. And in, in he didn't look previous. necessarily great. Well, now he's like, he looks like he yeah. could play on the first line. I mean, yeah, he actually looks like he belongs. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, credit to him for that. Uh, the offensive skill set kind of came out of nowhere. It's surprising. And again, it's like, so you have reliable pairings 
on the first line. You have a good first line, no matter who who's playing in the forward slot, whether you're you're slotting in Strom or Kreider or Zabanajad with Panarin. However you want to do it, you have reliable lines, and this mm-hmm. team is still struggling to. I mean, it's not even like they're, they're struggling to score at points during the game. They didn't struggle to score last night, but they struggled keeping the puck out of the net. Yep. And that wasn't. I mean, Georgiev to the to what he's he's owed in terms of the blame on that. You know, for sure, goalies are going to have bad nights. The defense has not been a, you know, no. it's not been a competent product this year. There was also a couple, um, I'm sure you know, the, the goal that tied the game with uh, Getzel scored right at the mouth of the goal. Yeah, well, where the defense, turnovers. Where is the defenseman, though, too? You know what I'm saying? Like, he had three whacks at that puck before someone would even touch him. You know what I mean? Like that's that's terrible. That's terrible defense. That's terrible defense. That's where the Rangers have been lacking for as long as I can remember. But that right there was a big point. Like where I was like, I was trying to think of ways to not just completely blame Georgia for getting beat through the wickets every time. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, there's one right there where the guy's fighting for his life at the mount the mouth of the goal and there's no one within bird's eye view of and maybe uh, you Getzel. expect that from a Tony D'Angelo and it definitely, I mean, listen, play aside from everything else, his play has been not, it's not abysmal, but compared to what we were expecting, it's been bad. Was it yeah. waivable bad? You no. can't make that case to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about terms of play, he's not waivable, but you know, we don't know what really went down in that locker room. We don't know what was said. We don't. We don't it's, know how many punches yeah, I, were thrown. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and, and yeah, you, you know, know stick my neck out for, for Tony D either. But um, oh, if you're if you're trying to tell me that you know the reasons that this was going to happen, it was written on the wall because of like social media and because he slammed his stick on, on the penalty box. It's like that's bullshit. I, I'm sorry. I I I call BS. We watched the great the glory years of Sean Avery. And uh, and, and he goat. was with uh, he was with an even hard, uh, tougher you know son of a gun as, as a coach in John Tortorella so don't uh, yeah I don't think if you're telling me that it's you know DQ and and D'Angelo or D'Angelo and some other player listen this goes straight to personnel this should never there should not be an altercation there because of this game or yeah. because of anything that's happened this year it doesn't fall on one player it doesn't fall on one goalie but. Uh, just man it from a managerial perspective this does not look like a team that had a first round pick and a second round pick who i mean sometimes in hockey these picks take a while to develop they got two guys who were playing legitimate minutes right off the bat yeah gifted these picks really and the product we look like a lottery team again yep <laughs> how is that possible <laughs> i i really have no idea and that's where i think that it really comes down to coaching at that point where it's just like dude like you got all the pieces. Yeah. The talent-wise, the Rangers should at least like like playing their worst should be in the top the the bottom of the top half of the league with their ta- with the talent that they have. They so should be like, <laughs> Yeah, they should be like 15th or something like that at right. worst. You know what I mean? And they're they're in the cellar. You know, they're towards the way towards the bottom. It's it's unfortunate to see, but like I said, I mean, what 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 have they played? Eight or nine games? Eight games, right? Yep. Uh, there's still six sevenths of the season left. That was some quick math right there. I know you like that. There's, that was good. There's six sevenths left of the season left. You know, a lot can change. This team caught fire 
like crazy toward before, you know, the pandemic last season and probably would have been a playoff team if they finished out the year anyway. I watched two period. I didn't like miss the overtime of the Islanders and, and Flyers. I, Islanders I don't look too good, by the way. They don't look too good, but I mean, save for the bad game against the Rangers, they they come back and they play in every game. I, yeah, I don't well, think the Rangers can, can even stand next to the Islanders. I mean, just in terms of the, the actual like performances, the Islanders look like a much better team than the Rangers. I think and it, the Flyers look like they're in a different class. I was just about to say if if we had to rank the Rangers from one to four between you know the local teams, I'd say yeah. the Rangers are dead last. Dead last. And That's you know a shame. what? Even, like I said, even the Devils are looking like a legitimate. Like they're in every game. Yep. You know what I'm saying? They play good, fast hockey. Like they're a joy. Like. I'll be the first to admit, like I told you before, I was watching the Devils game yesterday before the Rangers game, and I was like, wow, this is actually fun to watch because, you know, they look like they know how to play hockey. Well, so, uh, the, the Flyers, uh, I, the players' names escaping me right now. Um, uh, there was a hat trick. Islanders down two goals going into the third period. They fought back and they scored two goals. The Rangers, they go down a goal, and it's like, it's well, over. It's over. <laughs> That's, that's really it. two more before the Rangers answer back the first one. You can't fake it. You can't fake it in hockey. That's for damn sure. No, definitely not. You'll get exposed up and down the ice, and that's exactly what's happening to the Rangers right now. No, no positive notes to uh, to close out on, eh? Just, no, uh, no. Okay. I don't think they deserve it. The ceiling's falling. I mean, the sky's <laughs> falling. The ceiling's falling. Chris, you might want to get that looked at. The ceiling's <laughs> falling. Yeah, it's a lot of snow inbound. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that um, that's a good note to close out the episode on, you know, a little laughter in our, in our pain as Ranger fans. Um, I think we shaved half an hour off. I, I, I think so. I, this no, I don't know. Who knows? Well, to be determined. Yeah, you gotta stop. You gotta stop inviting me on to do this thing because no, uh, I will never stop inviting you on to do this as much as you don't want to do it. You get into your own true. head. You you get into your own head. You're like, I want to do it. I don't want to do it. All right, fuck it. I'll do it. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> well, listen, you have to be here and produce for the people. I have the liberty of saying, nah, they don't yeah, want to hear exactly. me rant about crap. <laughs> it's not crap, okay? No, it, it it's crap. But listen, it's a little crap. We, we definitely shaved some time off. I don't know how much, but... It's definitely not two hours and thirty-eight minutes like it was last time. Don't look at the clock. I have no idea. I've been trying to do. In, I've been trying to do the math for the past twenty-five the clock. minutes. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> all right, it is. Uh, it is one twenty-two uh, Eastern Standard Time right now as we're wrapping up this episode. But you will hear this Monday morning. What day is that? That will be February. First. February first. Wow, jeez. Flew Happy by. Groundhog Day. Paid, by the way, that's tomorrow, but still um yeah so enjoy your groundhog day um hopefully enjoy your snow day uh, apparently like everything in, in around the city and everything is shutting down um rightfully so i'm still scheduled to work tomorrow so i'm hoping that i don't have to work um because that's a huge pain in the butt going on to LIE. To watch tomorrow i know it's it's gonna be a rough day for everyone it's gonna be a netflix and hulu type of day Oof. but um or whatever you stream on i don't know but um thank you if you're all the way if you listened all the way until this point thank you so much for listening uh i'm not gonna plug us because you know i just don't feel like it Do the plug. Uh, if you don't know us by now really the only thing i'll plug is i mean you could listen to our podcast on literally every single streaming platform that you could think of for the most part uh and if we're not on a couple of them we're working on it right now 
But not only that, I would love if you guys subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, that is where I post some of the best content, I think, that we produce. So please give us a, a subscription there. It means a lot more than you know, and it helps us out a ton. Give a like on the videos if you're watching. That helps us out a ton, too. Um, I really have nothing left to say. Chris, thank you for coming on again. Your mustache is absolutely brilliant. I didn't mention it at all this entire they didn't time. Have to I was, know. They and didn't I was have waiting to know. until the end. It's okay. I'm wearing, I have a goatee, and I didn't mention it last week. Um, That's true. And they, this, this fan base has literally never seen me without a full beard. So I intend to keep it that way until it grows back. Um, Cause when I wear, I actually have a, um, before, before we end, I have a dangly earring that my girlfriend gave me for, for Christmas. I love it by the way. And with my goatee, I look like Brett Michaels. So um, I'd prefer to grow the entire beard out before I wear it again. Cause you know, I, I, I don't want to look like Brett Michaels. And on that note, thank you so much for listening. I, I think that, I, I think this is episode four of season two. I don't even remember. It's okay. Baby, it's cold outside. It's snowing. Thank you for listening. That beautiful man right there is Christopher Rubio and his gorgeous mustache. I'm Peter Andresani. Thank you so much for listening and stay safe out there.